In the Pits is partnered with Compete. Compete is a Texas-based brand by Jell Stewart of professional team AC Diesel that provides custom jerseys, pants, headbands, straps, tech shirts, and any other soft goods to help individuals and teams compete at the highest level. Support Texas Paintball and message Compete on Facebook or Instagram and mention In the Pits podcast for 10% off your entire order. In the Pits is partnered with Get That Shot. Get That Shot now offers first-in-line photo and video editing, 20% off Get That Shot merch, and 20% off prints to all teams that wear the Get That Shot logo on their jersey. Message Get That underscore Shot on Facebook or Instagram to become a Get That Shot program team. In the Pits is partnered with Paintball Kumite. Paintball Kumite is a program designed by Colt Roberts of professional team San Antonio X-Factor to take paintball players of all ages, experience levels, and skill groups and mold them into champions. The program breaks the game down into small, easy-to-learn sessions designed to help you master the fundamentals so that you can elevate your game. Newcomers to the program get a free one-hour introductory class when mentioning In the Pits. To sign up for a class, message at paintballkumite on Instagram. Welcome everybody to episode 26 of In the Pits Paintball Podcast. This podcast is focused on everything that has to do with the paintball scene here in Texas, from professional players and teams to new divisional programs, local tournament series, field owners, Texas-based brands, even photographers and videographers. Every week, we'll have a short and sweet episode with a new topic and a new special guest. I'm Christian Smith. I'm a player for the Texas Titans, and this episode, we are going in the pits with Ryan Gray, coach for the newest pro team in the NXL, Austin Notorious. Ryan, how are you doing this evening? I'm great. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, it was great getting to meet you a cup as well. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's get into it. Uh, so for those listening, maybe they don't know about you or about your history. How long have you been involved in the Texas paintball scene? Yeah. So um, I actually grew up playing in Oklahoma, but um, there just was no competition here. So we, we came to Texas a lot. I uh, started playing and refing paintball tournaments in Texas in 2000 or in 1996. Uh, that's the year I was born. So, uh, Fantastic. that's, yeah, the, you've been in for a long time for sure. And I, I can't imagine just all of the, the evolution of the, the scene and just the sport in general. So, uh, what teams have you been involved in, uh, either playing wise or coaching or otherwise over the years? Yeah, so um, I've really only played for two teams. I grew up uh, in Oklahoma playing on a team called the Hooligans. And then uh, we merged with Texas Storm, um, I believe, in 2000 or 2001. That's really the only two teams I've ever played for. And then coaching, I've coached um, uh, the Naughty Dogs, uh, San Antonio X Factor, uh, Texas Storm, of course, and the uh, Rebuild. Um, and then I did, so uh, spent a little time with, uh, Plum Life, um, when we were trying to do a thing with, uh, Plum Life and, um, Texas Phalanx, um, and then, uh, took a little time off and then Austin Notorious. A lot of big names for, uh, oh, you know what? I did also um, coach, uh, Vicious, uh, for a little while. Um, I think that's it. That's well, uh, a lot of big names for anybody who uh, hasn't heard of those teams. A lot of really dominant teams in their time. 
Um, <clears throat> so, um, having been in the sport for so long, uh, what are some things that you've noticed that have changed within Texas, either for better or for worse over the time period? Yeah, you know, you and I were kind of visiting about this a little bit before the podcast. Um, you know, Texas, when I grew up playing there, um, we had some great tournament series. We had some really, uh, really nice fields. Uh, of course, paintball back then was mostly in the woods, and then you'd have some speedball, but it was mostly pallets and, and things like that. Uh, really before airball was was a major thing. Um, and then once airball kind of came in, it, it of course limited uh, the number of fields and those kind of things. But you also had um, you had innovative companies uh, operating out of Texas. I mean, you had Viewloader and then uh, Halo, and um, there were guys also doing um, David, uh, sorry, David Kramer's dad, Mike, I was even doing like uh, cocker things um, where he put the three-way on the side of the gun. It was called eyeball because he didn't really measure. He just literally uh, eyeballed it. Um, but you had a lot of innovation going on. I think even um, Eric that had awful paintball was doing some of his own stuff. And um, so you had a lot of companies kind of doing things in Texas. And in um, Texas was still pretty far behind California at that time as far as uh, level of play and those kind of things. So you had a lot of players who were still, when they got to, wanted to get to the pro level, uh, were leaving the state. You know, they were going to California. They were uh, going to Blake Pruitt went to AfterShock. So you you had players kind of leaving the area. Um, and then during sort of those those dark days uh, around 2006 to really up until what I would say was even two up until about two years, three years ago. Um, and really Alex Martinez, I think really got the ball rolling in Texas with like a premier tournament arena style field, uh, dedicated to tournament paintball with turf. And it was, um, you know, made, uh, for not only, not only to be a, um, a fantastic tournament facility, but also an amazing practice facility where you, you know, you had a crow's nest where you could get on top and look down on the players. Um, <clears throat> and then, of course, people fit has, you know, ch totally changed the game. I mean, really, for a, a really long time, uh, Houston and San Antonio really housed the the really high level players. And this is kind of, you know, into the airball era, you know, mm -hmm. kind of get out of the um, as we evolved out of the woods. Uh, Houston and San Antonio really had the majority of the of the the great players and the really good players from Dallas even were were traveling down to those areas to play. You know, Paintball Zone and uh, Paintball Zones also done a fantastic job building um, really nice arenas. Now you have a lot of them. You know, there's Outlaw Paintball in in Austin and of course uh, X Factor and. Paintball zone is still killing it. And then, you know, you add paintball fit to the mix and now you have giant sports. Um, so there's, there's just amazing, uh, from a tournament perspective, there's, there's just way more opportunity in Texas than there's ever been. Uh, so like in current times, that part is really, really good. Um, the bad times um, was just, there was a lot of chaos with um, the manufacturer, especially as, as in 2001, I went and worked for National Paintball and, and I went into kind of a really chaotic mess down there. Like there was this weird sort of battle going on between PMI and, and uh, Diablo and, and National and 
everybody fighting over the same piece of pie and not really developing anything uh, meaningful as far as helping new fields and helping get players into the game. Uh, really just fighting over the same piece of pie and each one of them kind of had teams that they sponsored and it created a lot of like unneeded nonsense and turmoil that was just stupid and now uh it's certainly not that way like teams um a lot of the teams just want to play each other because they want to get better you know we play paintball fit a lot we um we were were both semi-pro teams and no we're probably going to bump into each other at some point in the tournament and you know give a shit we just wanted to play each other we knew they were really good. I, I think they thought we were pretty good. So um, I feel like tournament paintball now uh, is certainly it's more of a community. You know, there's just a totally different attitude and personality around tournament paintball in Texas. And um, it's much more welcoming and inviting. And, uh, and I feel like the teams all really support the shit out of each other, which is really nice to see. For sure. Um, the... I mean, just the the buildup of all these different fields uh, is creating a lot of new players like coming into the game for the first time, and these like these teams, which historically and by historically I mean like probably six, seven, eight years ago, um, didn't have these huge programs like really outside of like I know Texas Phalanx had a huge uh, following, a lot of players rostered there, but other than that, you didn't see a whole lot of. Uh, programs where it's bottom to top like division five division four division three with these uh organizations like continuously invested in bringing in uh new players to like kind of fill in their division five and then uh kind of trickle upwards so now with with especially with how uh paintball fit has risen over the last four or five years suddenly like Dallas has come out of nowhere to become this this huge scene, uh, bringing a ton of teams. Like I want to say, Fit has at least like ten different organizations, and not just single teams. Like bottom to top, multiple lines and multiple divisions. And now, like the rest of the rest of Texas, which is more than just San Antonio and Houston, uh, and of course Dallas, but like Austin has its own scene. Um, yeah. you've got the Valley, even in Houston, you've kind of got like a, a North Houston and South Houston with, uh, Texas legends and with the new field megaton, uh, coming up, there's a lot of new players coming in. I don't even know that field. Yeah. It's, it's brand new. I, I think they open doors like middle of October or something like that. So, um, from what I've seen, it's a very nice field. Uh, for some of the players that uh, play there now, they're saying like, uh, as it's being built, it's going to rival fit in terms of like the level of facilities that they have there. Oh. So, um, yeah, I'm also like just curious as far as like you you said, there's a lot of um, like as far as products and things coming in, like with the companies, I'm I'm. Uh, I didn't know that there used to be all of these different like Texas based companies because nowadays it doesn't, at least for me observing it, it doesn't feel that way. It looks like, um, at, at least as far as like the, the manufactured stuff like soft goods. Yeah. We still have like under industries. We have compete, a uh, couple of other soft Thanks. goods. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But as far as like the gun manufacturers, hoppers, things like that, it, it just, there's nobody here in Texas as far as I'm aware now. Yeah, so uh, during the Great Consolidation is really what I call it, right? Which is 
and the market kind of fell out in that 2000, uh, 2007, 2008 time period, all these companies got, um, they just got saturated or they went out of business because uh, there just wasn't enough uh, opportunity any longer. And honestly, tournament paintball was, um, wasn't really, the people who were diehard were still playing it, but there was, because there were less people with available uh, wallet share, it just, there were less people coming into the sport. So as players got older and, and retired and moved on, um, there were just less players in the market, right? So as players went away, uh, their wallet went with them, right? So a lot of those companies during that consolidation time period, um, they either got sucked up by National Paintball, which at, at that point was Key Action Sports, or or they just kind of went away, right? Or had already been um, consolidated, you know, um, as far as it, it, the Texas-based companies, I mean, Halo was, I think, really bought out by National before it became Key Action Sports. But um, they also had a, like, Texan and Albert had like a and Chris uh, had a, like a gun thing. I forget what it was called. It was it wasn't very cool, and it was uh, honestly didn't work very well. But um, but I think they got saturated by National before even all of that chaos occurred. But uh, but I mean, J uh, View Loader, uh, Dave Bell's company, um, it was in Dallas, right? So I mean, that was uh, the first sponsor kind of Texas Storm had, as, as far as uh, I know. When Dave was playing with the team, and I'm probably wrong on that. Lamar's probably going to come on here at some point and watch this and be like, "No, Ryan, you're wrong." Uh, but Lamar Lopez, um, who was one of the uh, machine or sorry engineers there. Uh, he was on Texas Storm. Tex Christopher, he was on Texas Storm. A lot of guys uh, that played on the team that worked there uh, at that company. And then I believe Black Market in Houston also had some of their own branding and own products. And um, now you see a lot of it. So, and I know what we see a lot of times are just the soft goods, but there's people doing, again, really neat and innovative shit now because they see space in the in the market. They see opportunity. And I love that. I think part of that was kind of spurred on uh, when Hormesis came around. Um, they started all of these different uh, headbands, weight, you know, huge variety in colors uh, and designs. Really got people um, like wanting that individual flair, and now like that's kind of spurned into like also the anodizing stuff. Like in Texas, I know I of at least three different anodizing companies here in Texas. I know there's uh, outlaw over in Houston. I think caustic is in Texas as well. And then arc anodizing. Um, okay. So all of these uh, different personal touches, kind of bringing that flair back into the game. It's really cool to see. I think we're in a, a more, more interesting time at least than the, the black on black that we had the last couple of years. Anodizing has always been a thing. Always. I mm -hmm. mean, um, <laughs> the splash stuff that planet before they started doing guns and things like the, all the splash anodizing things that they started doing back in the day on autocockers and rails and all kinds of things like anodizing, that kind of thing has been around forever, but I do think it's coming back in a different way. Now people are getting a little more, um, um, a little more free and creative with the colors and the mixes. Also, like the shit those guys do, like the stuff that that Ryan and Brock are doing. That's, I mean, it's artwork. It's so cool to see the the stuff they can do now. Um, I, my brain doesn't work that way, so I'm also like really easily impressed with things um, <laughs> that I have no idea how they do it. And um, 
but anodizing has always been kind of the thing. But I, I absolutely agree that I think players are looking for uh, ways to stand out a little bit. Yeah, it's awesome to see. I want to see uh, like the the new products that are coming out as well. Um, so yeah. I want to get more into like your uh, your background. Like, tell me how you first got into playing paintball. Yeah, so um, I got in trouble at school. I got into a tussle with another young man, and uh, I ended up having to do a little community service, and I was uh, mowing the lawn at my church, and the youth pastor uh, came out and said, hey, we're going to play paintball. Do you want to go? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to go, but, you know, got to get my hours, right, because I'm working off this community service bill. Uh, anyway, he told me he would give me the hours for going, so I jumped in the van and went with him and uh, went to this field here in Oklahoma City and um, played with an SL-68 pump gun and uh, just absolutely fell in love with it. So uh, that was in 1993, and then in 95, uh, really end of 94, me and, and a few buddies, uh, Jeremy Martin and uh, Jim Williamson and Troy Berry, I went and bought these uh, Walmart paintball guns and we skipped school and went to, I wasn't a very good kid, by the way, uh, went to um, a field during the week that was closed, right? But we just snuck on and uh, went and played paintball at his place. But while we were there, we actually like built fields and plugged holes in bunkers and um, <laughs> he would, we'd also play there on the weekend some. Uh, but nonetheless, like we were, uh, we happened to, the guy who owns the property, owned the property at the time, he had this huge Rottweiler and everybody was kind of afraid of the dog, but we were there so much uh, during the week, we kind of got to know the dog. His name was Buster. Anyway, we, uh, we were out there on a Saturday and um, the dog, the guy drove up and the dog jumped out of the truck and came right up to us and um the guy said, yeah, these these are the young men who've been on the property during the week because our cars are there, right? So uh, anyway, the guy that owned the park said, hey, if you guys are going to be here and doing all this stuff anyway, why don't you come work for me? So we started working at the park. We, like two of us would work on Saturday, two would work on Sunday, and then on the days we were off, we would play. And um, there was a, an indoor field that had opened up here in Oklahoma City and we were doing this little three-man tournament. Um, I didn't get to actually play the tournament, but the other guys went and played, and they another guy, Jesse Babb, went and played with them. And while they were playing the tournament, and this was like, there's like 30-some-odd teams there, and a ton of Texas teams came up, uh, Texas Storm and Dallas Speed and um, uh, Shock Force, Checkmate. Uh, actually, Checkmate wasn't even a team at the time. Uh, that was later on. But anyway, a bunch of Texas teams came up, and these guys, uh, they went to the tournament, and they got third. With Titmans and Spiders. And so Tex, Christopher, who was uh, working for V-Loader, he came over and kind of visited with him a little bit and uh, sent Benny Titman a, a, a message and said, hey, you, you know, these guys just came out here, these kids just came out here and, you know, did really well with a bunch of Titmans. Like, you should talk to them. Anyway, that didn't really ever happen. But um, like the – we never talked to Ben Titman or any of those guys. But um, – then we we started playing, uh, built a little team, started playing at the indoor field. Um, and what that did, the indoor field created a way for us to be able to play during the week. So back then, uh, paintball, uh, a case of paint was $100. So you had to figure out every way you could to to stretch your budget. So 
Um, you know, I'd go buy a case of paint and shoot 500 rounds on Tuesday night, 500 rounds on Thursday night. And then I had a thousand rounds for, you know, Sunday to, to practice, but we would literally, we had golf balls set up, uh, different distances throughout the indoor field. And, you know, we'd play these slot bunkers and you know, you'd come out the left, you know, 15, 20 times, come out the right 15, 20 times, come over the top 15, 20 times and shoot these golf balls or hanging from the ceiling. So you're getting, you're shooting this tiny little target. Um, so we just got to a point where we got pretty decent with our guns. We still had no idea how to play as a, as a group. We just were all relatively good shooters and pretty talented. And we started traveling around Oklahoma, Texas, Kansas. Anywhere. So uh, Chris Burkhart, who was playing with us, uh, was a machinist. And he had to be at work at 6 o'clock in the morning. So we gauged, if we were going to play a tournament on Sunday, we literally gauged how far we could go based on when we thought the tournament would end and could we make it home in time. In fact, we went and played a tournament um, in St. Louis uh, and did really well. It was a Jim Lively, one of Jim Lively's last events, um, and we could not play the finals. It was us and a team from Oklahoma called Energy, who was also really, really good um, and a lot of fun to play with. Um, but we couldn't play the finals because we had to leave mm. because our guy was not going to make it back home in time. So um, a really short period of time, we played a ton of tournaments. Um, and I was also refing the Texas Captains of uh, te- Texas Council of Captains ten uh, man events. Um, so we were driving down there and earning money to play, but also watching. Um, refing is probably how I learned the majority of my woods ball play was was refing those events. I mean, you get to see a- a- everything. Um, so we were learning a lot while we were down there, and then on the drive home, we got to talk about you know, what we saw and what worked well and how they communicated and their calls and their systems. And then we would try to implement those things into our practice schedule or, um, you know, the next tournament. Um, And so all of that kind of got me to where when we merged really with Texas Storm and um, the rest is, you know, deep into the tournament scene. So, but that's kind of how I I got started. A hell of a story right there. I mean, shoot, uh, doing all of that as, a kid with, uh, I mean, paints a hundred dollars a case and, and driving all of this way. I mean, coming down to Texas, it's not a, it's not a short drive by any means. I mean, even, even if you're driving down to Dallas, it's still several hours. Well, Dallas was like mm. three hours, but, uh, <clears throat> and we went to Dallas a lot, but like the San Antonio, Houston, um, again, St. Louis, Kansas city, like those drives, um, were long, but my parents had a minivan and so we borrow the minivan and pile in it and and go. Um, I will tell you that those times of kind of the grind out ball thing, uh, the memories we have and the shenanigans we pulled uh, on those road trips were um, they're amazing memories. Yeah, I mean those are those are the moments right there. Like um, for anybody who's ever gotten like photos of them like during tournaments like the the on the field stuff's great but it's like the candids in the pits and on the sidelines and all that that's that's the best stuff so i mean playing for so long and uh doing all these drives and eventually merging with texas storm what was it that made you transition from uh player into the coaching role (laughs) yeah that's funny uh yeah i didn't really uh see myself as a coach i didn't really want really even to coach. I hadn't really even thought about it. And you got to also think about like at that point in um, 
tournament paintball, you, you had seven men and then um, you had what was going on with the, um, the PSP. Um, but it was, it, it, there were only a handful of teams that had coaches, right? Like the, and, and the Russians really made that a thing. Um, you know, they bring their whole team of coaches and uh, Sergey would come sometimes. So, I mean, you know, they'd have six, seven people um, there to support the team. And it wasn't just coaches, but they had a legitimate staff um, that would work the pit. They had gun techs. I mean, they literally had a crew of people they would bring with them to the events. Um, but they were also just beating the shit out of everybody. So I think they kind of put the league uh, and the, the top teams on notice that, like, if you want to uh, if you want to do well, you got to take this a little more serious. You need a coach, you need staff, you need um, you need to uh, appropriately hydrate yourselves. You know, at that point, especially most of the teams were still going out drinking every night and mm-hmm. partying and then, you know, showing up to the field and, and still playing good high level paintball, but just consider how much better they could have been if they hadn't right. been doing those uh, things. Just to help me put this in perspective, like about like w- what year are we talking about at this point in time? Yeah. So that's exactly where I was going. So I, I decided I was going to retire in 2006 and my kids were getting to a certain age where 35 weekends a year was no longer going to make sense, which is about how many weekends a year I was playing. Um, uh, you know, in order to, to play at a high level, you've got to, you, you got to play a lot of paintball um, and you have to be a little sick about it. Um, and what I mean by sick is you just have to be a little bit deranged and you sort of have to give up everything. I mean, you, you really kind of do. And at that point I had, you know, I was leaving my wife home a lot by herself and, um, it, we were traveling overseas to play and I just, I had hit this point where 35 weekends a year just didn't make any sense. And so I'd made a decision in 2006 that, uh, as soon as the, um, the last event, which I think was in San Diego was over, uh, we were playing the MPPL, I was done, uh, that I'd had enough. Well, Rocky, uh, from the Naughty Dogs, uh, was there at the event and he just made kind of a passing comment and he said, Hey, you know, uh, for World Cup, why don't you coach us? And I was like, man, I'm not a coach. He's like, no, you should think about it. Um, well, a couple of days later, uh, might have been a couple of weeks, uh, but he called me and, hey, look, I'm serious. I really think uh, you'd be a great coach. And, um, you know, we really need somebody who can help support us. And at the time, they were an empire team. I was working for National still. Uh, again, I think it was key maybe at that time, but maybe not. Um, no, it was still National. But so I, I told him, I said, well, I'll, I'll do it, but I'll only do it on one condition. It's when I'm there, it's my team. It's not yours. You know, if, uh, most people probably don't know Rocky Newth, but he's a huge personality. I mean, he's, a, first of all, he looks like a fucking cage fighter. I mean, he's an incredibly intimidating dude, but, um, and his brother Raymond uh, didn't look much different than he did. They were both pretty intimidating looking dudes, but I just said, hey, if you'll, if you'll, let me do it my way. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. So they flew me out there to, um, to world cup. We went out the Friday before the tournament. Uh, we had practice on uh, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, and then we practiced again on Tuesday, just kind of finalizing a few things that I wanted to do. And then, um, and then we went and, and played the event we played really well. Um, I didn't know it going in, but, um, the naughty dogs had never done better than eighth. Uh, in a PSP event. Now they had won the smart parts invitational thing that, that, that little televised mm-hmm. tournament they did that year. 
uh, might have actually been the year before, might have been 2005, but they had won that tournament, but they'd never done uh, better than eighth in, in a PSP event. We took second. Uh, we beat a lot of really good teams, beat Dynasty at that event. Um, then, of course, uh, bumped up against the Russians in the final match, and I, I don't remember the final score, but it wasn't close. They beat the shit out of us. And in the off season, uh, between uh, it was actually at World Cup, and uh, Dusty and Devin Odell had played with me, and Colt Roberts uh, had played with me on Texas Storm, um, and they had moved over to X Factor to play X Ball, um, and they kind of mentioned it at World Cup, like, hey, we're you know we'd really like to have a coach for next year, and um, I just kind of told them, hey, I don't I don't know, you know, I'm not sure I really want to do this, and um, and then I talked to Alex during the off season, and um, Alex said, hey, you know, I I think there's something that could work and, um, you know, we should, we should at least try. And so I went down, uh, in January, we had kind of an off season workout and I went down and met all the guys and most of them uh, I knew already. Uh, there were only a few that I didn't really have a relationship, you know, growing up, um, them growing up, Archie and, and Dixon were on, um, addicted and we played addicted, uh, quite a bit. Um, so I knew both of those guys. And then of course, Dusty, Devin and Colt from playing uh, on storm. And, uh, but I had also seen, I run a few tournaments um, at the uh, indoor field that used to be there in Dallas and, and they would come up and play as crisis management. And, and then I think they changed to X factor maybe uh, after a few events, but, uh, or maybe right when they went into the PSP, I don't remember. Uh, anyway, so I knew, I knew of, majority of the players there were only a few that i didn't i didn't really know so i kind of got to know them and then uh ran the practice that day uh, or that weekend and um came home and alex uh called me the next week and said hey you know the guys uh really think this will work and they enjoyed the structure and and those kind of things and um and so i kind of said the same thing to alex like hey when i'm there I need it to be, you know, me, my kind of my way, you know, of course, we're going to talk about things, but I, I need it to be sort of the way I want it to do. I, I want to do it. Um, and Alex, of course, gave fantastic input and, and helped when whenever needed. And uh, and it was still his team. Right. I mean, it's mm. it's um, Alex is, you know, the godfather. <laughs> like it's still his team. I'm just um, I'm just there, you know, pulling the puppet strings, really. Um we had a great off season and then we go into uh you know they went into huntington beach and won it and then we played uh the first event i think we i don't know fifth or sixth and then we got second at the next one and then we won the third one and so things um things escalated really quickly as far as how how fast they um they were already all really incredibly talented players we just had to put it together as a group Right. They just didn't they were still struggling um, with a lot of communication things and some timing issues and uh, and then really having a solid game plans developed around the halves. Right. Because that's when we had two halves. Um, so I had I would go into a half kind of with one uh, philosophy and mentality and then I would completely have a different one going into the next. Right. Just a, uh, all kind of manipulating guns like if we were playing the Russians. Uh, I just wanted to get if they were if Federov was right handed down the snake. I honestly just wanted to be if we could get out of the half even, mm -hmm. you know, even points. Great, because as soon as he went left handed down the snake, he wasn't near as dangerous. So and the dude was un unbelievable. But um, nonetheless, things just got um, 
really, really fast. And so after that, I had kind of uh, built a little bit of a reputation as uh, somebody who could help build programs. And so um, if you haven't seen BKIT, go watch it because they talk about the dark days. And so the dark days hit and, you know, it got to a point where I was driving from Dallas down to San Antonio for practice. And there'd be like six guys showing up for practice. And so I just told Alex, I was like, man, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I stepped away for a couple of years. And then uh, Mark Johnson um, called me after world cup in 2009, I believe. And uh, him and Derek Knight and Sean had kind of talked about, you know, hey, what if we try to help recreate Texas Storm? And so we did a little tryout and picked up a bunch of D4, D3, D4, D5 kids and went and played semi-pro and uh, had a moderate first year, you know, um, finished kind of where I thought we would finish. We were right in the middle of the pack and then uh, went on to the next year and had a great year and then went on to the next year and had a great year and then had an opportunity to, to go pro and did that. And um, it was just, uh, it was kind of the same thing, just didn't happen as quickly because the players weren't um, weren't as talented off the bat as like the X Factor guys. Um, so th- that's really how that the, the coaching thing came about. You know, I kind of did it twice uh, where I built up some some young teams um and became pretty successful pretty quickly uh the reality is i'm still a pretty humble guy about those things they're really talented groups right they were incredibly talented groups most of the guys not most but several of the the players on both of those teams of course are still playing professional paintball i mean mark johnson clint johnson um tj danner um which i didn't have much to do with tj's development we'll talk about that later but um but nonetheless there's still a lot of those guys who are out there playing professional paintball and um and i i, I take a lot of pride in that but the reality is they did the work i, mm-hmm. I just uh i'm just a puppet master <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely a lot of talent here in texas but uh it's great to hear that uh really bringing in that structure was uh what gave rise and kind of paved the way for uh, these Texas teams to start uh, leaving their mark on the national scene. Uh, so I want to, I want to skip around a little bit on this, uh, on the list of questions that I sent you. So we're going to skip down to okay. like, as far as like being a paintball coach, what does that involve exactly? Or at least what does your approach involve? Is it just like X's and O's as far as like, you know, planning breakouts and things like that, or what, what is everything that goes into the title or the, or the job of being a paintball coach? Yeah. I mean, to me, it's not just X's and O's. I think there's a lot of uh, coaches who um, just try to control the first 15 to 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. um, But that's not what I do. I, I want the players, um, to develop mentally. Uh, the reality of the physical things, they, by the time they get to me, most of the guys know how to hold a gun, play a spot, you know, understand how to manipulate um, their bodies to put themselves in, in the best place in the bunkers, those kind of things. By the time they get to me, usually it's, it's about the mental side. It's about understanding the if this, then that, um, the, and a lot of the why I ask why a lot. Uh, and it, one of my key things that I ask players constantly is, was it helpful? Uh, did you do something because it was going to be helpful to the overall game? And I want to know, 
um, I want them to be able to play the whole tape to me. So if somebody goes to a spot, they make a move, or they uh, come off a job to do something else, I want to know why. And I don't want to know why just for that moment. I want to know why the whole game. I want you mm-hmm. to play out the whole scenario for me and tell me why you you went a certain way. You came off a job to do this. Okay, why did you do that? And I don't want to know why just for five seconds. Well, I came off because I saw this. Okay, but what else? Like when you came off of that, did you ask somebody else to get on the job? And then the job they were on, did you take it? Did somebody else take that job? What's going to happen? So you went here, did that pull a gun off of so-and-so? And then did you tell them? Did you say their name, tell them what you were doing so that they understand what's happening? Or did you just do it? So for me, it's definitely not about X's and O's. It's about helping them to mentally understand the game uh, in a more meaningful way, right? Um, so I think all coaches are maybe a little bit different. I really, uh, Mike Bianca and I connect very well on that because we both, um, we're very intentional about expectation. My delivery is quite a bit more <laughs> harsh than his, um, but uh, we, I want the players, at some point, I'm no longer going to be doing this, right? And I want the players, when, when they're done with me or I'm done with them, I want them to at least, when they walk away, say that they got better. I understand the game more meaningfully. Um, I improved because of these things, you know, that's, uh, that's my job. You know, I had, mm-hmm. I had lots of mentors growing up that, that those are the questions they asked me, why'd you do that? And I knew what they meant. They would, weren't asking me why for five seconds. They want they want, they want the whole tape. I think, um, for a lot of people, they, um, there was a video on YouTube that came out not too long after World Cup, where it was, there was a clip in there of you talking to the Austin Notorious guys after you lost your first match, and uh, that I remember that clip got, uh, at least for me and my team, like I found that clip and I was like, okay, everybody needs to see this as far as like the the talking about like personal discipline, uh, and getting ready for that first match and coming out fast or coming out slow, um. And I think as far as I I know you say your delivery isn't as, uh, you know, as pleasant as some of the other coaches. I still think that's way better than, you know, guys like Mike Hinman uh, that I've definitely heard going uh, uh, much, much less pleasant because uh, you can you can really tell that your uh, your goal is to get the players to kind of think through these problems uh, and getting to shadow you for that match that I was helping y'all in the pits, I could really tell. Like there was one point where I think Marky had gotten shot because uh, there was a guy in the Dorito corner off the break that he didn't know about. I remember Marky came off. He was saying, "Well, they let the player fill to the corner," and your answer was like, "Who's they?" And like really getting him to uh, think through this whole process, uh, which uh, was really cool to see, and it's also like kind of shows like a lot of people think of paintball coach as like the X's and O's here's your breakout. You're shooting this, you're looking this way off the break. Like in my mind, there's actually like kind of two different jobs there. There's like the coach of like the play caller, the breakout caller. And then there's the coach who's like actually working with the team throughout the year. And uh, it's, it's cool to see whenever, um, whenever the paintball coaches are actually like kind of taking on both roles. 
Yeah, man. Um, I'm also like, I'm not a young guy, you know, I'm mm-hmm. 46 years old. I've got <clears throat> own kids who, you know, one's a, about to graduate college and one's about to be on her way to college in Boston. And, um, I also, it, I mean, it's, it's way more from a coaching perspective when I'm with the group. It, it's also mentorship and, you know, letting them know that I give a shit about them, that I know that I'm really hard on them. And, uh, but I care, you know, I want them to be successful men, right. Uh, first, uh, and then really good at paintball second, if that's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, the, the coaching part of it, um, especially now, and being a little bit older, more mature, uh, significant, more life experience. Um, I, I do have a different style than I used to, but I used my Kim in, um, just a second ago. And I will tell you that if you come to a practice, I probably sound more like that. Hmm. I wonder how much of the, the style change and like really more focusing on the development of the players is indicative of how the game has changed with um, like the format changing the bunker set, um, including all of these bigger bunkers, which are, are allowing more like secondary moves and uh, play up the middle and things like that. Mm. Like I know you've heard uh, a lot of players talking about how the game has gotten way more mental than it used to be. And it's not, it's not just about, Hey, you won this gunfight. Uh, congratulations. You won the point. Yeah, so I would totally disagree with that. I think okay. it's way less mentally challenging than it used to be. The bunker, the I mean, you get to play the field layout two hundred times before you get to the tournament. You, you know, um, you you get to see a lot of different scenarios. You get to be really uncomfortable a lot, which you learn from. Um, I don't think it's as mentally challenging as it used to. I will say the player on player um, intelligence has definitely gone up, right? As especially as at the higher levels as um, a lot of teams are sticking around in in some of these divisions for year after year after year after year their 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 cognitive ability goes way up um, and and I only mean like the player on player stuff is uh, in my opinion a little better and and like the gunfighting and the mm-hmm. knowing when to come off and set a trap where that used to be really just for you know the high level pro teams. Uh, who could really understand how to bait and trap and 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 turn it on and turn it off like that? And um, now you, I mean, shit, guys are doing that in D four. You know, you're watching these these low level teams uh, set traps, and um, I still see them screw it up a lot. You know, but um, you know, a guy in a tower shooting down the wire, and there's a guy up the middle shooting that way. And I don't, I'm all, I always get confused, like, why the hell is that guy up the middle shooting that way if the guy in the tower is never going to let the guy go? You right. know. Um, but you do see it done successfully uh, often, and, and again, um, those kind of things maybe are a little a little different. Uh, but I don't. Think, I think the game is, at least in my mind, growing up playing ten man and seven man. I think the game is so much more simple now. It's so much more simple. You really end up with like, I may start a tournament with eight to ten plays. I end with three to four, and then you know, the game slows down so much as you flow through the tournament that it really is like, get here, get here, get here, stop. And then you two guys don't have jobs and you get to go play. I mean, it, it, it mm. it's kind of, uh, I, don't know, I think, I don't think it's near as challenging cognitively as it used to be. <laughs> gotcha. I, I think that kind of leads us into our next topic, like, uh, talking about like, Hey, just 
you look left, you look right, everybody else go play. Um, like let's, let's get into your coaching style a little bit more. So, um, as far as you, um, filling the role of coach, either as player development or like play caller at events, like, do you feel like you have a specific coaching style that is consistent throughout the different teams that you've had, or is it more like you're basing it around the players that you have on your roster? I mean, it certainly has, um, a lot to do with the roster, but, um, I'm probably traditionally more aggressive than I am sit back. Hmm. Uh, now I've had to learn over the years uh, how to coach a little slower style of paintball. Uh, but I'm probably, I lean on the side of aggression. You know, if you go back and watch uh, Chicago, I mean, I sent Archie to the snake every single point. And if you're going to let us do that, I mean, we're going to do it. Right. Um, but the reality is everybody kept saying, well, we're not, you can't make it. You can't make it. You can't make it. I mean, the very first point of the tournament, I asked Archie, Hey, you want to go? And he was like, yeah, let's go. So he went and he made it. Like, okay, uh, you're going until they shoot you two times in a row. So you're gonna go every point, right? Um, so I probably um am a little more aggressive in my play calling style, but then as far as just my coaching style in general, I'm I'm pretty aggressive, I'm pretty intentional. Um, I'm not the easiest guy to deal with a lot of times. Um I I expect um progress i don't like multiple mistakes that we've already made being made i um i'm harsh a lot of times in my criticism um we we were kind of talking offline you know and i mentioned earlier i'd bring it up you know i've had players in the past who can't who couldn't deal with me you know who couldn't deal with that kind of um demanding sort of personality tj danner I, i mentioned him earlier uh, he's one of them, you know, he, he played with us the first year on Texas storm. And, and we kind of talked about at the end of the year, I really needed him to develop in a different way. And um, he, he wasn't really excited or comfortable with that. And he goes to VCK and he, he crushes, right. He, mm-hmm. he flourished there. Uh, and now I would consider him to be one of the top players in the league. I mean, the young man is fantastic. So, uh, but my, um, I want a group to understand that we're working toward as perfect as it can be. Right. I know it can't be perfect because you don't have control of everything, but I want the things that we can control to be as perfect as they can be. Um, and that, and when I say perfect, I mean, perfect of what they're capable of. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I don't expect a, if I'm coaching a divisional team. I don't expect them to play like a pro team. And I know they're going to make divisional player type and divisional team type mistakes um, but like working with a group who I know is trying to go pro, I'm going to coach that way. I'm going to coach them to, to understand that, Hey, what you've done, I understand that you, um, you went undefeated in the tournament, but you lost this many points. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, we won, uh, on Texas storm, we won Phoenix, um, several years ago and, uh, it was actually kind of Clint Johnson's opportunity to come out. Mark uh, Mark had a heat stroke uh, literally in the pit before we are walking on to play the championship game. Uh, he collapsed in the pit um, and we're like trying to get them to give us extra time because we, you know, Mark's now being loaded up in an ambulance to go to the hospital. Um, and Clint uh, ha- had played some points throughout the event, but hadn't played a lot. And I kind of grabbed him and I was like, all right, kid, 
here's your chance. Like you're going to the snake every point and here's what I want you to go here and do this. And I want you to go here and do this and go here and do this and, and then go all the way to their side. And he did it and he did fantastic. And, um, you know, the, the match ends and he comes over and, um, and we were, we were still playing division one at the time. And he was really, really excited, uh, that we had won the tournament. And of course all the guys were, and, and um, I didn't really have an excited look. I mean, I was happy, but I, I didn't really have this sort of elated look on my face. And he was like, Hey man, aren't you happy? And I was like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy for you. You guys did well. And he was like, I, but you don't look happy. And I was like, well, I'm, I mean, you weren't perfect. Um, and do you want me to be super excited about what I already expected you to do? You prepared appropriately. You guys played well. A lot of things went our way. You want me to be excited when you accomplish the thing I expect you to accomplish? But you still, I, we lost seven points the whole tournament. Um, and I just brought it up. I said, hey, you, seven times this weekend, you weren't perfect. We still have shit to do. We still have work to do. Uh, and that's just my perspective um, about, you know, when you get to the pro level, it becomes different. Hmm. You have to sort of not get comfortable with losing, but you have to understand that all of those losses lead to lessons, right? If you're a divisional team and that's where you want to be, then be okay, right? Be okay with it not being perfect, with it not being as close to perfection as you can get it to. If you have aspirations to play at a high level and to compete at a high level, again, not just participate, but to compete at a high level, you have to hold yourself to a completely different standard. You have to be accountable to what the expectation is. For example, if I tell you, hey, I'm, I'm going to go to L.A., I, if I don't do shit, get to LA, I don't buy a plane ticket, I don't pack a bag, I don't go to the airport, I don't walk through security, and I don't board the plane, I'm never going to make it to LA, right? I hear players, you know, talk all the time, hey, I want to play at the highest level I can play. And I'm like, hey, that's awesome. What are you doing to take care of yourself? Are you going to the gym? Are you running? Are you doing speed training? Are you doing jump training? Are you getting to the field every opportunity you can and finding the best player there getting them to play you in one-on-ones are you doing everything you can to elevate your game because if you're not what you just said is bullshit it's bullshit it's just fucking word vomit so i um i take those types of things really serious right because i, I value the shit out of my time on planet earth and i want to be able to do good things while i'm here and like if i say i want to do something um if i mean it i'm going to take action I'm going to take action to get it done. And so my coaching style is wrapped around that. If a team says, hey, we want to do this, we want to be at this level, players too, I hold them each accountable to what, what they tell me they want to do. If they say we want to get here, great. I'm in. I expect you to commit to the process that it's going to take, which means you got to take care of yourself. You got to do all the shit we've talked about. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, I mean... It all makes sense. Like if you're, if you're really going to want to do something, you gotta, you gotta make it happen. Like no one else is going to make it happen. Uh, that's a lesson that I learned. Uh, I, I was running a team. I was running the Texas Longhorns collegiate team for a couple of years. And just the, the one main thing uh, that I took away was uh, nothing happens unless you make it happen, which is, I mean, it's, it's simple when you just put it on paper, but uh, a lot of people just get 
comfortable and think, oh, they're like, oh, I've made it to the field, you know, Sunday, I show up at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock or noon, I play like five points and then I'm done. Yeah, that's, that's enough to get me oh. to where I want to go. That's, uh, which in my mind, I'm like, that's like maybe bare minimum at best. Like there's a lot of things that you got to do to really, uh, to compete and like want to win these things. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's a player I'd be like, Hey, you know, there's a scenario next weekend. I think that'd be a good thing for you, but go get into it. And I'm not dogging scenarios. I'm just saying mm-hmm. you can still go play paintball and have a great time and you can play for five minutes if that's what you want and go back to the tent and hang out with your crew. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, along those lines, like I'm, I'm sure that you've had players, like you, you said you have players that didn't quite fit in with your coaching style, but let's, Talk about maybe the few or the many that uh, you know that were perfectly aligned with your with your mindset. So, like, did you have like a player that was your favorite player to coach, and what was it that made him that way? To be totally frank, I can't answer that question because the reality is I do have a shitload. I have like <clears throat> I have been incredibly blessed to have a, a, a lot of great players um i would say probably the most fun to coach uh have been colt roberts and mark johnson only because like those two dudes are literally they were down for anything like if Mm -hmm. i told colt uh or mark um hey i want you to go to their side of the field off the break and go to this spot and i want you to look that way and you're probably going to get bunkered but here's what's going to happen after they're in right they're totally in and then and both of them also have just amazing creativity, right? Like they, they, they were players that I could give like a really simple thing to, and then watch them do it. And they go do it, you know, way better than, than I told them to do it. And because they got really creative with it, they were very, uh, and still are, you know, like watching uh, both of them kind of navigate through the middle of the field. Now that we have these, these giant bunkers, I mean, uh, it's just, it's fun as shit to watch them do their thing, you know? Um, Dusty Odell was another one that was just absolutely fun as shit to coach. Uh, he he um, he would do this prairie dog thing where he would literally like look over the top of a spot, right? You could see it coming, like he's about to go, uh, but he would like pop up over the top of his spot and kind of look around and he would launch and sometimes he'd shoot three guys, sometimes he'd get a major penalty, but um, but it was incredibly fun to watch, you know? Uh, but I have been uh, very blessed. Like I, um, I have a lot of players that I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed coaching. This year, um, I Bateman was probably one of my favorite players to coach. I mean, he's um, he had kind of I think hit this point where he was pretty stagnant in growth, uh, and then throughout this year, he took some big steps, man. And, and, um, Sunday at world cup, he was just absolutely fucking amazing. And it was cool because I, I felt I trusted him enough to give him a lot of leash. Uh, in fact, like literally going into Sunday, um, I only gave him one little job for about 10 seconds. And then I said, then go wherever you want after that. Like you can go on this side of the field, but you, you can go up to the tower. You can go, out to Dorito too, if you want, like just feel it and go and have a shitload of fun. And he, uh, he did, and he did, he did fantastic. Renee is also just an absolute pleasure to coach and has also just continued to elevate and elevate and elevate. Um, 
again, like it would be um, be impossible for me to pick one, but really, um, Holt and, and and Mark Johnson were probably my favorite players to coach. I mean, you can you can tell just watching them play. I mean, uh, they're still doing it at the very top level of the game. They're still like all star uh, players yeah. in in the NXL right now with a lot of new talent, young talent coming in. Like there's, they're still at the top and for very good reason. Uh, so, um, for anybody out there that's like, maybe they've got their own divisional program or they're looking to like become a paintball coach. Uh, what would be some, like maybe one or two pieces of advice that you would give them? Yeah. Be a student, be a student first. Um, watch as much video as you can. Um, go to the field, evaluate players kind of on your own, you know, don't share your evaluation with somebody who doesn't ask for it. That's a good way to get punched in the face. Um, but be a student first, uh, try to learn as much as you can about team dynamics and, um, have an idea of something that you want to try and then grab a few players and try it. And if it works great, you know, maybe this is something you can do. Um, I think probably from my experience, the best coaches I've seen were players first and then uh, became coaches. I think it's easier to talk to a player when you understand the emotions they're going through and you understand the job that you're trying to get them to do and know that it can be done uh, because you as a player could do it. Um, but I would say if, if you want to get into this, you, if you don't have I posted this thing a while back about leadership. Um, if you if you want to be a leader, um, that's a, up to the group, right? So like people who take leadership roles, um, it doesn't work well, right? You have to be afforded leadership by the group you're leading. And if they don't trust you and buy in, um, you're not going to probably be very successful. So um, if a group asks you to be their coach, it probably means you should. <laughs> They're telling you, we trust you, we have faith. And uh, and then have mentors, you know, have people you can lean on and talk to. And uh, I still do, you know, I, I, I can Joey Blute today. Um, I still have other coaches in the league that I talk to and uh, that I lean on from time to time and get advice from. I think it's important to, to have uh, really smart people around you. All great pieces of advice. Um, and also just being a continued student. Uh, I mean, there's always, always people to learn from always things that you, uh, don't know. Uh, and, uh, Absolutely. so, uh, real quick, uh, for everybody that's here in the chat, uh, welcome. Uh, if you have something that you'd like to ask, uh, coach gray, go ahead and get it in the chat. We'll, uh, and we'll ask them like towards the end of the show. So get your questions in the chat. We'll get to them towards the end. Um, so we've talked about, uh, kind of your, your past and your career. Uh, I also want to talk about, you know, not just playing and coaching. You were also, uh, the, I, I believe the original, uh, owner and operator of the bunker fest series. Is that correct? Or you were one of them at, at one point in time? No, I want to clear this up. Uh, cause I keep, I keep seeing these things kind of around, um, and, and, and I want, and deserve zero credit for the first two bunker fest. Those, I, the only things I did, I was working for national paintball. I got 
a ton of sponsorship and helped coordinate all of that uh, for Mondo. Uh, I helped get some of the pro players there. Um, I played in the North versus South game. Um, I think I had, like, I brought a big vendor booth. Um, I, I helped with the support with the field. Uh, but all of that, the whole, sh- the all of the infrastructure, all of the back end that, that happened for that event was 100% Mondo. Uh, Mondo did all of that. He worked his ass off to do it. Um, you know, he, he was really smart about leaning on the right people to help with certain things, but the it was 100% his brainchild. He put it all together. It was his, he did it. Um, it was Mondo, right? Um, I I kind of brought it back uh, after Mondo kind of stepped away for a little bit. Uh, I brought, you know, uh, an event back down down in San Antonio at uh, Crossfire and then did another one at, um, at X Factor. I think we did a few, but um, nothing like what Mon- Mondo had done. I mean, he, he did it, right? Um, mm-hmm. I just wanted to try to keep it alive as, as much as I could and because <laughs> I thought it was just such a special and neat thing for Texas. And um, I think paintball really needed it. You know, we, we, um, I brought it back when things had gotten to a point where tournaments were just tournaments. What Mondo had done was an event, right? Like it wasn't it, like the paintball was fun and it was cool and it was really competitive. It was an event, man. It was, there was shit happening all the time. There was music, the, the, north versus south x-ball thing was just fun as shit like all the players were having beers and uh, it was a really competitive game but it was also really fun like you know as soon as it was over we're loving and hugging on each other again and it was just uh it was a spectacle you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. we had a beer garden margarita machines and like you know in a vip area um and for a local thing uh he that was all mondo Right. The the things that I did uh, logistically in the first couple were just to be helpful where I could and uh, try to try, I provided some referees, some of the guys from uh, from Storm and, and um, Havoc. And, I, you know, there were several of the sponsored teams that went down and, and uh, ref, but they were also sponsored by Animal. Right. So um, they wanted to help Mondo every way that they could. And also don't know in that time period if there was a nicer dude in paintball like mondo was um he he knew everybody everybody knew him because you just he's one of those people that when he walked into a room things just got better you know he was he just had this spirit about him that was um it was incredibly contagious and infectious and well i i I don't want to take any credit for bunker fest success or any of that. That was Mondo. Uh, I have uh, reached out to Chris and he's reached out to me several times about, uh, not several times, but a couple of times about the current Bunker Fest and told him how excited I am for him and, and that I would do anything he needs me to do to help. And um, and I, I think what he's doing is really cool. Absolutely. I've, I've played in both of the events so far. I played in the Round Rock one last year and then uh earlier this year over in louisiana uh texas titans ended up winning the event last year uh and round rock and then we got third place in louisiana um and that whole aspect of having an event not just a tournament is something that chris is really trying to capture and you can tell by all of the extra things that he's doing like making sure like vendors he's not charging any vendor fees so like he's trying to get as many 
uh, companies, brands in there to kind of showcase as much as possible. Uh, he did a crawfish boil uh, for the players in Louisiana. Uh, had a lot of food vendors. Had live music, like all of all of those things. You can you can really tell that Chris is trying to recreate or um, not just recreate, but like also expand on that atmosphere. Yeah, love it. Yeah, I, again, I think what he's doing is really cool. I'm I'm very excited for him. Mm-hmm. And so with a, I mean, with putting on an event of that caliber and that size, like there's a lot of behind the scenes challenges that go into that. So like from your perspective, what were some of those behind the scenes details that like people may not think about as much? Yeah, there's, there's always, always, um, you know, air, air. So there's, there's three things that really make a paintball tournament, turn the tournament side of the paintball thing work, work well. Uh, you got to have good air, meaning everybody expects to get, you know, 4,000 to 4,500 pounds. Uh, you got to have really good refing and you got to have really good paint. Right? Those are the three things that can kind of make or break uh, an event. Um, if, if, as long as all of those three, three things uh, are good, you still logistically have so much shit to deal with. Uh, netting, referees, potentially not showing up. Uh, the if you're not using PB leagues, which now is an incredibly stable system, it did not necessarily used to be when it would, you know, the old APPA system would have struggles with <clears throat> people paying and it not showing paid or whatever, or you have teams that drop out at the last minute and you're trying to redo a schedule at one o'clock in the morning and you got to be at the field at 6 a.m. And, um, and then once you add the spectacle on top of it, now you just, you're adding different layers of shit that can all continue to go wrong. But from a tournament perspective, as long as those three major things are okay, the tournament's going to be fine. Right. Uh, but there's shitloads of headaches that go into running tournaments. I mean, I've, um, we had the avid series for a while, which I, you know, brought Greg Polly down to, to help do. And he did a, a great job with that while we had it. And, um, and he got to deal with most of those headaches, which was really nice. Uh, there's shitloads of headaches, man. Like anything you think can go wrong at some point, it will. Um, you know, you we've had compressor issues at tournaments and had to borrow one or, um, I mean, it's just, you, you just never know what's going to happen. Um, and it, you also can't be prepared for everything, even though like you want to have redundancies of things. Uh, you just can't ever be prepared for anything. So anyone like, you know, what Mike Hinman does and, uh, of course, the USXBL, those guys have been doing a great job for a really long time. And I think what Mark and, and Greg and uh, Rab are doing is, and I don't even know if Rab's still involved, but um, what Mark and Greg are, are doing is uh, is really, really neat. Texas is, it? I mean, you guys are spoiled. You have so many good tournament tournaments to play and and competition breeds excellence right so like just creates a better opportunity when one does a really good job the other one's going to want to step up and do a great job too because now they're fighting for your wallet share um you guys are spoiled to have uh, as many great tournament series as you do down there and options right not just like when i say options, i'm talking about locations right you can play a tournament in dallas and then two weeks later go play a tournament in san antonio and they're both going to kick ass Mm-hmm. Um, and the you know prize I hear people all the time bitching about the prize money. Fucking prize money at local tournaments is better than it's ever been. Like it's amazing right now. 
ridiculous. Yeah, I think everybody that's like ever done anything in divisional paintball here in Texas knows that this upcoming year is uh, definitely exciting. Um, Absolutely. Like, I mean, you, there's options like even with, you know, Bunker Fest coming in, doing a series up in Dallas. Of course, you have the USXBL that's been around for a long time. Uh, you've got um, like more local series like the HTPS, like XTPL. XTPL frostbite series uh that which just had an event i think this past week or maybe two weeks ago um you've got of course x-factor paintball series which has been uh running this year um there's many more than that that i'm i'm not listing uh lots of options and all of it's all of it's fun yeah so um yeah absolutely and there's there's um you can tell that yeah like with with the prizes a lot of people complain about the prizes um and you know bunker fest came in last year and boom five grand six grand for first place in you know division three division four which even like at the national scene you don't even see that in semi-pro so yeah you know what's uh, crazy is the people i hear complain most about the prizes have absolutely no chance to win them. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like it's it, it's insane to me that like the people, not all, right? Not mm. all. I don't want to. I shouldn't make blanket comments. But usually, when I hear somebody bitching about the prizes, I'll go look at their APPA and I'm like, you've never won a fucking tournament. Like, why do you give a shit what the prizes are? You're not gonna win. <laughs> like you, you, you're the person who says, I want to win the tournament. I want to go to LA. You don't do anything to go win it, right? You don't do anything to go get to LA. So it, it's like it, it, those people a lot of times are make are the ones like making excuses for why they don't win, right? They, so it's like, well, I'm gonna bitch about the refs, or I'm gonna bitch about the pain, or I'm gonna bitch about you know the fact that the tournament prizes aren't as good, or blah blah blah, whatever. It's like, it, yeah, but you went and played, and you gave them your wallet share, and but you didn't do anything to go win it. <laughs> It's a shit, right? Like you're not going to win. Just go play and have fun. Shut up. Yeah. It's like, there's so many things that go into running a great event. Like prize pool really only affects three teams. Right. And half the time like that, it, it, it's not enough to really put that like all that much value into, unless you truly think you are like a, a top team that can consistently go win these things. And sure, maybe, but, uh, there's not very many of those around. So there were 630 some odd teams at World Cup, right? Mm. Right? I, I, 630. Uh, I don't know. It, the, I, I think remember was. It I want to say it was almost 700 when, I mean, granted, oh. there's like a lot of like three man and stuff. And I don't know. I'm going to count them too, right? Mm. But that means in all the divisions, all the divisions that were available, you had 11 teams that went home happy. Mm. 11 teams. Okay. <laughs> I just like cares like you're not gonna win right no i and i'm I, maybe you do i don't know maybe something happens where you you go and you win. it's really fucking hard to win one of those tournaments but mm -hmm. the reality is the people i see complaining the most are usually the ones that have the least chance to win right and not not to say that prize pool isn't attractive for anybody looking right. to go compete um yeah. but also like investing in all these other aspects of what goes into making a great event 
uh, is even more important, just like the experience overall. Um, so I, you know, talking about how Chris Rangel has revived the bunker fest name and really like, and truly invested in the experience for the player. Um, you know, besides these, these massive cash prizes that he's offering, like he's, he's investing in all these other things like the roughing, like, uh, having quality air. You see, he's posting a lot of stuff about, you know, renovating giant party sports to make it a much more player friendly thing. Like he moved, um, like, you know how the, the pit situation, how all of those storage containers are like behind the start box. So if you're, if you're ever in there, you're just like constantly getting splattered. Um, he, like he like dug into the hills on those like back divisional fields and moved the containers so that the pits are on the sideline now, like smart doing things like that, where he's actually like invested into the thing, like things that all of the players um, experience. Uh, so like, I know you said you've talked to him a few times about, uh, about the event, like have, has it, has your involvement been anything more than just like giving advice or pointers? And uh, what are some of the things that you would like to see this series be able to accomplish? Uh, no, I've not been involved at all other than us just kind of chatting about things. I've thrown a few uh, ideas at him. Um, we talked a little bit about um, nature of competition as it relates to the tournament series themselves. Um, what was the second part of your question? Uh, just what are some of the things that you'd like to see the Bunker Fest series be able to accomplish? I just want it to be a spectacle. Like, you know, like take care of those three points about the paintball tournament itself, and, and that part will be fine. Um, unique. Unique. Do something cool. You know, that's to me, that's what Bunker Fest was, and that's what made it, it so fun to be at, is it was a spectacle. It was different. You know, you had uh cute girls walking around in you know booty shorts and tank tops and uh you had shit i think you maybe even had like a magician or something i mean i it was almost like uh carnival you know it was just like there was constantly shit going on and it was uh i just hope he continues to to keep it a spectacle and keep it something different and unique and uh and fun um you know a paintball tournament's a paintball tournament it's a paintball tournament until it's not until it's something different um and people i think um i think people are attracted to things that are weird you know that are unique i like that shit yep uh well it's it's definitely been a spectacle so far um like in my hand these are the medals that we got for third place uh or like these are the medals that he got i mean look like the the thing spins like how cool is that and then, cool. of course, like the the tomahawk for uh, getting MVP last year at the event, like that that thing is cool as hell. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, so, yeah, I'm I'm excited for what's to come in Bunkerfest. I mean, it's it's definitely lived up to that spectacle that like the like putting on a show so far. So I want to see uh, it continue. I think like live commentary or something like that would be cool. You know. Um, and he has like provided that arena style. Yeah. The, li- the live commentary has been there for the first two events on Facebook. No, no. I mean like literally live at the field. Oh, okay. Like on the premier field, having, you know, kind of live commentary and potentially even like interviews in, in, in the middle of the match, you know, where people in the audience can 
kind of hear what's going, like give people a reason to stick around. You know, anytime you do a, a webcast, there's no reason for people to stay, right? Which is one of the reasons I think a lot of the vendors at the NXL just stop coming. Like, what's the point? You know, the players don't stay. They go back to the hotel and they watch the webcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so I want to, like, we've talked about, like, Bunker Fest for a little bit. I want to ask you, like, just kind of recapping on your past experience, um, what has been like, do you have like a defining moment or a favorite moment that you've had in your career so far? As a player or as a coach? Uh, that's, that's up to you. Okay. Uh, as a player, it was being, it was playing in Malaga, Spain. And that picture I sent you, it was, uh, number one, it was just a really fun group to play with. We took seven guys. Uh, one of the guys got, uh, thrown out of the tournament. It was seven man. Uh, one of the guys got thrown out of the tournament for a bouncy gun. Uh, in Europe, if you have a bouncy gun that's too crazy, apparently they just throw you out. Um, mm-hmm. And so they threw him out. And we had a guy, the uh, Pete, uh, that owned the London Tigers, uh, came onto our roster in the middle of the tournament, which was really interesting. I don't know how he got that done. I don't really want to know because he probably had to someone. <laughs> Nonetheless, um, Sunday morning, right before we were about to play uh, the semifinal round, um, the sun is coming up over the Mediterranean Ocean, and the Spanish mountains are in the background, and the bunker that I get to play is like 15 feet from the Mediterranean Ocean. And we're standing on this turfed field on the beach, um, and it was just incredibly surreal. It became one of those, like, this is stupid, right? Like we're here shooting bath beads at each other at 200 miles an hour in this incredibly beautiful picturesque place. Um, And then to go on and win the tournament and win it in the fashion that we did, we played this team called the Kellys uh, in the finals and we just beat the crap out of them. Uh, I had a really good tournament uh, and the team played really well, but like literally in the last, uh, in the final it was best two out of three in the final game. Uh, we shot three of them off the break and then very quickly shot two more. I began to run around the field and played like six or seven different spots. Like I'm run, I ran up to the M at one point and I can hear the two guys that are left talking. I hear one of them yell to the other guy. That's nine players as they're trying to call spots. <laughs> Cause I was just running around <laughs> like an idiot. Um, and we, you know, at that point we were pretty sure we were going to win anyway. So I was just being silly, but, um, but nonetheless, like winning with those guys, that group was a lot of fun. Then as a coach, uh, it was world cup this year, man. Like, you know, I've got a bunch of seconds and thirds there. I've never won that tournament. Um, it, it rivals, uh, the first tournament with, uh, X factor that we won, but this one was probably a little more special just because I think the, I don't think anybody expected it. Um, and, uh, I've never won a world cup before. It was cool. Those are some huge moments and I'm sure you have a lot to choose from as well. So, um, yeah, so, uh, here, so I, I need to take a quick restroom break, but I'm going to set you up with the next question first before we get into that. So we've uh, talked about your uh, past career, and now I want to get into like your current involvement with Austin Notorious and looking to the future as well. So um, 
the past two seasons, you you join up with Austin Notorious, um, and at the start of 2021, and they immediately go and put on a show in the Virginia Invitational. I'm not sure if you were involved with the team at that point or not. I was, yeah. And they, I mean, they go on. I think they said they like unofficially or I, I don't know if they were like keeping track of results or anything like that but like they could have won the whole thing if they had won the final game or something like that that's correct so, so uh if you're gonna take a restroom break so am i okay so, yeah we, we can put on a, a waiting screen uh real okay. quick just for everybody so uh while we're taking this quick break y'all go ahead and get your questions in the chat and we'll be sure to get to them towards the end all right uh we'll be back in about probably two three minutes or so y'all all right, y'all. Thanks for your patience. Uh, we're back in it. So uh, the question was uh, talking about Austin Notorious, um, you know, going to put on a show in the Virginia Invitational immediately after, uh, you know, joining up with you and then go on to win the D2 series last year. And they just won, you know, first year in semi-pro. They win the semi-pro series and now they're the newest pro team in the NXL. So, uh with your involvement with Notorious, like what are all of your responsibilities within the organization? Great question. I want to back up though. So <clears throat> I actually, uh, Mark started uh, sort of talking to me at the end of 2020. Uh, I think it was December. He sort of started uh, calling me about Coming back and coaching, and um, I was not interested at all in coaching a divisional team. I didn't um, really want to do that. I Again, we'd kind of done that thing with Plum Life and the Family Skies, and, and they, honestly, uh, and no offense to any of those guys, it just um, it wasn't what I wanted to do. I really wanted to be with an experienced group that um, already had some high-level you know, knowledge and understanding of the game. and. Um, I, I had absolutely no intention of going back and coaching a divisional team. And and I'd shared that with Mark. I'd bought a Jeep during COVID and I was four-wheeling on the weekends and hanging out with my wife and my family and really didn't want to coach again. So I, uh, um, <laughs> he probably, I think we talked like four times and I told him no every single time. And then finally he called me and said, Hey, we're going to this invitational thing in Virginia and uh, it's a bunch of pro teams and then Carolina crisis and us. Uh, want to just maybe come meet the guys and, you know, as you can see sort of how they play and who they are. And, um, and so I, I, I kind of was like, uh, okay, man, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll come. So I think it was really like, you know, hey, I'm going to buy you a plane ticket. If you don't get on the plane, I'll leave you alone kind of thing. <laughs> but anyway, I got on the plane. I get there Thursday night. Uh, we have a meeting. And I, I like literally the only one of the players I really know is is Marky and only literally from from Bunkerfest and then sort of watching his career uh, from afar. And I knew of Ty Bateman uh, just from his brief uh, period with X Factor and watching video. Um, you know, he was, he got to play a little bit with them. He didn't get to play much, but he got to play a little. So I at least knew who he was. I didn't know any of the other guys, none of them. Um, so I kind of, I tell him Thursday night, I'm like, Hey, listen, you guys are going to get the shit beat out of you. Uh, it's going to probably be a, you know, long weekend, but it's going to be a great learning experience. And, you know, we'll, we'll pull together and 
uh, talk about things as they come up. And so anyway, Friday morning, uh, we go to practice and I, I kind of run them all over the place to see how far we can go. And then I give them like a couple of really simple bass play things. Uh, and we go out and uh, we're practicing trade my gun and they go out and they, they win the first point. I was like, all right, that's cool. And then I think I gave them another small little bass play thing that was just slightly different than the first. Um, and they go win the second point. I was like, oh, shit. This is weird. So I, um, Paul Chesapeake has a place where you can go behind uh, and watch from the back and, and where the netting was. And so I, I went back and I watched a few points from behind them. And what I began to notice is they didn't make a lot of mistake, like divisional, young division player mistakes with their guns, with their bodies, like when they, you know, would would engage and then come back in. It was really sharp. It was very quick. They had a lot of control. Uh, they communicated okay, uh, not good, but okay. Um, and they all played their spots really well. They really um, played each one of the props well and, and came out in different spots and were really creative in that way. Um, so they didn't make physical mistakes that I see a lot of divisional players make. Foundation was all really good. That you know they all kind of stood, you know, toes pointing at the bunker and weren't sideways in the spot with their gun across their chest. And anyway, so like they 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 looked um, physically really good, right? So um, that practice day went really well. Um, I I think we probably went like fifty fifty, but it went really well. We beat some really good teams. I think we you know beat NYX a couple of points and. Um, anyway, so we get back to the hotel, uh, to the Airbnb on Friday after practice. And I was like, okay, my expectations are different. <laughs> like this, this speech is going to be a little different than the one we had last night. And so, uh, and I told him, I say, hey, we're probably going to win. We might win half our matches. You know, I, I feel pretty confident we could beat ML Kings. I feel pretty confident we could, um, we can, uh, betray my gun. I was like, we may lose to NYX and, and Revo. But I feel pretty confident that the other four teams, we're going to be in the match, right? We're going to have an opportunity. We go play NYX the first match, and they beat the snot out of us. I think it was like 7-3 to three or 7-4. to four. They beat us pretty good. And, uh, and then we're playing Revo next, right? So I'm like, they, you know, they're going to pound us. So Dan Zaleski, uh, you know, I've been watching him play for a really long time. And uh, I kept telling Marky, He'll be, he'll go to the snake, like he'll go. So just stay through that gap and, and wait for him to come. He, he, if he doesn't go off the break, he'll, he'll, he'll go. He never went. He never went. So like we owned the snake side. Every, like I, I don't think he went until like the last or second to last point. And then he finally started going. And I, I remember I even went up and asked Maddie up in the booth. I was like, hey, is Dan sick? What the hell? Like, he's, why isn't he in the snake? And they were like, dude, we were asking the same thing. You can go about watch the podcast. We keep saying, like, why aren't they playing the snake? Why aren't they playing the snake? We beat them. I think if we played them that day, if we played them 10 times, they beat us nine, right? Mm -hmm. We got to beat them that one time, which is all that really mattered. And um, I think we beat the next team we played. And so we were two and one on the day. And we'd kind of done the math. Like, we, we figured, you know, if, if Revo goes and beats NYX, NYX had lost one other match. I was like, well, if, if Revo goes in, and beats NYX, um, we win because we have the head to head, right? Well, NYX, in fact, didn't lose another match. So 
uh, and then we lost the very last match. So instead of getting first, we got third <laughs> because because of the way the head to head worked with NYX. So, um, but anyway, so at the end of that event, um, going into Dallas uh, in a few weeks, and um, guys, Mark had asked me, "Hey, will you stick around uh, for Dallas?" And I said, "Man, we'll you know let's do Dallas, and we'll we'll keep the conversation going at least." And in Dallas, the guys came to my uh, hotel room and we all sat down and I just told them, you know, if you guys will commit to me for three years, uh, I'll commit to you for three years. And here's what I promise you will happen. If you'll do what I ask you to do, um, I promise you within a three year time span, I'll make you a pro team. So <clears throat> division two. Um, I did not coach them like a division two team. I coached them in preparation to become a pro team, right? A lot of the concepts and things from a communication perspective, we were working on in division two, uh, and also just trying to slow them down a little bit, trying to slow the game down. Um, number one, pay dividends in division two, of course, but the reality is I wasn't there help them win division two tournaments. Like I was glad when we won tournaments, but I, that's not why I was there. So those things were cool, and I knew that that was part of the process in order for us to get to semi-pro, where we would legitimately have an opportunity um, to sort of make that dream happen. Um, coming into this year, I really thought we would have probably finished somewhere around five to eight, you know, probably in that area. Um, you know, when you when you look at the, the division itself you really legitimately have two pro teams that come down with distortion who used to be trade my gun and then, and AC Dallas, um, which is paintball fit. And you still have blast camp and you still have the a team. Um, some incredibly solid teams in there. Right. And then you have the killers coming up who are also uh, a fantastic division two team who, who went up and, and did really well. Um, so my expectation was like, Hey, if we, if we can finish kind of in that five to eight range, we're good. And then we come out at the first event and get second. Now those expectations are different, right? Mm -hmm. Now I'm thinking, well, if we can be in the top three, that'll be great going into the second year. It'll probably provide some additional sponsorship opportunities and some, you know, maybe some contingency things that we can do because we're going to be more competitive in that second year with another year of growth. So um, <laughs> then we go to the Cali event and there's only like eight teams there and we get fourth and uh, then go to Chicago and played. Um, I think the team probably played better in Chicago than they did at any of the other events until the, the, the finals, which was in the rain and um, not perfect conditions, you know, uh, also don't, I think I made a couple of mistakes even in that one, but uh, also Archie and Michael and <clears throat> the last point had an opportunity to go win the game and didn't. Uh, so that was a little frustrating uh, to then go to an overtime point and lose was, was bad. But, um, but I thought at that event, the, the group played better than they had uh, all year, which gave me hope for world cup. Right. Cause uh, again, I've never won one of those and, my my goal every year is to get the team. I want to win World Cup, right? So to me, the other events leading into that, we sure you want to win them, but the reality is I want us to take steps. I want the 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 
players to continue to develop in a way that by the time we get to World Cup, we're playing our best paintball. Make sense? So we did not have two good weekends of practice leading into World Cup. Um, I had set the field up in a way that was um, pretty complicated, um, where I was allowing kind of the, the, the front guys going through the middle to sort of dictate the jobs. Um, but then also you, you, the communication court sort of drove backwards, right? So the guy going up could see everything over the top. And so that person really needed to be the one pushing the information back. And then the guy in the back pushing the information to the outside. Um, and we played the first match that way. Um, and, and it didn't work. Right. So, uh, going into the second match, uh, brought a few of the guys over and kind of talked to him one-on-one and, and, um, just simplified the shit out of it, to be honest, uh, gave two guys jobs and then, uh, sort of let the other three guys, uh, just be themselves and, and go play and have fun. And, um, you know, we win, we beat the newbies five Oh and, uh, then went and played distortion the next day and tied and then won the last one. And anyway, going into Sunday, I uh, made one little change. I noticed uh, that the first team we played, uh, Padres is who we played last on um, Saturday. But no, maybe we played Padres and then we played distortion. Yeah, we played Padres and then we played distortion. But uh, nonetheless, Going into Sunday, the team we were playing, I noticed, didn't manage the Dorito side of the field very well. So I kind of I switched it up a little bit and um, with player personnel, and I put Renee and I together instead of having Jared and then one of those guys outside of him just to have the wheels out there. Um, and it worked really well. So I just didn't mess with it. I kind of left it that way for the rest of the day. Um, and that worked really well. It worked well. So... It's really exciting to win the World Cup and then uh, to find out about 30 minutes after we won the tournament that we had also won the series was um, surreal. Um, it was uh, happened obviously more quickly than expected. Um, I love the fact that World Cup was so meaningful. This is the only sport, you know, up until this year where like last year for D2, we didn't even have to go to World Cup and we won the series. That's not how it should work. I mean, World Cup should be like if if, if you're an NFL team and you go 16 and one, like this year with 17 games, you go 16 and one, but you lose the first rounds of the playoffs, you're out. You're not the world champion, even though you had the best, you know, season. So I love that World Cup was a was a big deal this year. I, I think the double points thing was really cool. Um I think that you can make a case <clears throat> for any of the top, you know, four teams that were in semi-pro that they deserved uh, an opportunity to go pro. But the reality is it doesn't matter what you deserve. It only matters what you earn. So I've seen a lot of stuff back and forth, of, you know, when people are talking about, you know, the points and how they should have worked or whatever. But we all knew going in to the season, World Cup was going to count for two. We knew it. If you don't go into World Cup playing your best paintball, you're, you're probably not going to win, right? Like you're probably not going to have an opportunity to get the pro spot. So um, I was a big fan of the way they did it, not just because it benefited us, because I thought it was cool as shit. You know, what a neat thing to make that final match between us and Paintball Fit 
uh, such a meaningful game, you know, um, they had just beat I mean, every time we had played them other than one, they just beat the shit out of us. Uh, so to, to, to play them the way that we did at world cup, I think it would have gone different, you know, if, if Trent and, um, and Johnny aren't hurt, maybe that game's a little bit different. I think those are two incredibly talented players, but, um, reality is that you got to run with what you're wrong, you know? Absolutely. Uh, I love how you uh, brought up the whole point system thing and everybody online was like, oh, they, you know, Blast Camp should have won it because they won multiple events this they year. Didn't. But yeah. yeah, they didn't. They and, didn't, right? Um, I'm sure you've seen my post. Like, I know I sent my post to several of the uh, notorious guys. Like, I ran the numbers with the old system of uh, how the, you know, the series points were calculated. And even like if it was the old system where, you know, the majors counted and world cup wasn't double points, y'all want it anyway. So. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Like, there was only one way to calculate the points of blast camp. Won. But the, and the reality is blast camp's a fantastic team. Mm-hmm. Really fucking good. Um, it, we're blessed. That we have a really good record against them, but they're, I mean, they're still just an amazingly talented group. Right. And that's what I mean by like, I think you could make a case for any of the top four teams that they deserved an opportunity to win the spot and and um and that's probably true but the reality is none of that shit matters all that matters is did you win the event or did you not if you if you showed up at world cup and you didn't play well you didn't fucking win so shut up move on like take another year and earn it you know absolutely and y'all i mean y'all showed up when it mattered and uh you know you played by the the rules and conditions that were set forth at the beginning of the season and you came out on top because of it. So that's all that matters. Yeah. Again, like I, I'm brash and, um, <laughs> not taking any more application for friends. I have plenty. <laughs> so like, you know, I'm probably a little hard ass when it comes to that kind of thing. But I mean, if you don't understand the rules uh, going in and you don't know how things are going to work out. Um, maybe go play tennis. I love it. So, um, you know, you've already kind of talked about your um, involvement with notorious. Do you like, as far as like your specific, like job responsibilities with notorious are um, like, I know you're, you're all about like the player development and of course, like the, the breakout calling and the X's and O's, but what, what other things do you handle? Like, do you handle any like behind the scenes or roster moves or anything like that? I, I, I don't handle much of that, man. It, honestly, it's Mark's team. Um, I'm here because he asked me to coach and <clears throat> you know, when it comes to player, the roster stuff, we, we talk about it, but ultimately it's his decision. It's his paintball team. So um, I'm involved up to a point, and then it again ultimately uh, that's up to Mark, right? He, he and, and Mark's a he's a really smart guy, and he he understands kind of if we have a, a hole or a gap, and we'll we'll kind of talk through it. And um, but but again, ultimately it's his decision, and and the reality is I think he's done a fantastic job. He's he's put us in positions to win a a lot when we um when we've had gaps. You know, we had. Maybe one of the most talented players I've ever uh, had the pleasure of coaching is is a young man named uh, Ian Galvin, who's uh, down in the Valley. Uh, I don't know if you've ever played with him or played against him, but the kid is, I I mean, he's just naturally talented, like physically, but then also 
just stupid fucking smart. The kid is crazy cognitive, incredibly intelligent. Uh, he's a nasty shot. But he, um, he was trying to finish up school, and so you know he kind of had to step away and um, couldn't commit to the, the time that it was going to take to do what we were doing. And so we, we've ended up kind of having this hole uh, as a two on the snake side for a couple of seasons. And so we've had a few dudes kind of run through that <laughs> that spot and now we have Michael, so uh, we no longer have that hole, right? Um, but Mark does a great job, and he he really handles the majority of that. As far as what my my role is, um, like this off season, um, there were multiple players that I made kind of one on one reach outs to to kind of give them some things that I wanted them to work on through the off season. Um, some were physical things. You know, you need to maybe drop a few pounds, take better care of your body. Um, and the others were, you know, hey, you potentially need to work on this role because you may be in it. Um, so it, it's more just being a coach, not a general manager. I kind of let him manage the, the roster, not let him, it's his team. But <laughs> um, but I, I want to be involved uh, to where I want to know what's going on. Um, like with uh, Ivan coming in right before World Cup, I went and watched a bunch of video on Ivan because I wanted to see kind of what he's capable of and what I thought he could do to be helpful. And um, he uh, in, in ended up doing a, a fine job. He was a great fill-in and uh, he was helpful. Uh, but the reality is I, I just coach, man. I just I help the players try to understand the game better so, so that they don't make old mistakes. Yeah. And I think everybody can see that uh, Mark Franz has done a great job of making those smart roster acquisitions throughout the season. I mean, uh, yeah. for one, just getting Michael Kovar, a uh, huge pickup at the start of the year, of course. Um, yeah. you know, getting, I was so excited. He um, sent me a message and said, what do you think about Michael? And I was like, I love him. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> He's great. Yeah, not just Michael. I mean, getting Archie Barnes, getting uh, Ivan Gonzalez over from DMG, um, Keegan leaving and then coming back, uh, picking up Jared oh. Sherman, who played phenomenally in Sacramento. Uh, and really good. He played to, great in Sacramento and he played, I think he played the best uh, in Chicago for sure. Played amazing up the middle. Absolutely. And then, um, you know, come World Cup. You've got all of these, you know, I, I think you had like two or three guys that um, hadn't been there for the entire season. Like, you know, Ivan, that was his only event with y'all. Uh, Keegan had just come back. Uh, Jared was, you know, picked up halfway through the year. Uh, I think Ian as well uh, wasn't there the whole time. So um, who's that? I uh, Maybe not Ian. Um, yeah. there, there was someone else I'm thinking about, get- but. Those guys you just mentioned are the one. That's it. Gotcha. So, like, you but, but know, you Keegan had... was there in the very beginning, right? Keegan yeah, with was, the with the D two yeah. season. Yes, yep. he'd been. He'd got. He was there in the Invitational. He was uh, one of the guys who'd made the commitment to stick around for the three years. And yeah, Keegan was. Keegan's. He's part of the deal. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh. So, and that's. I mean, obviously, you're now the newest pro team in the league. So uh, I, I like how you also talked about like some of the things that the different players needed to work on 
during like the season or the off season, um, did you, um, did you like give them like any drills or was it just like, Hey, individual pointers on, uh, Oh, I gave them drills. What what were some of those drills that you gave them? I'm not going to share that. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. I'm not going to share that. Yeah. So, um, I have like in my head based on when I watch a group play, uh, I kind of break things down in a couple of different ways. I look at, uh, player ability and deficiency, and then I look at group, uh, ability, uh, things they do well, and then things they're deficient at. And then I try to put together a plan, um, that, that is inclusive of what are the, the glaring deficiencies of the players. Uh, that then also can go up to the group level, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I try to create ways where a player who is struggling with um, a certain part of their game, I try to mix that into whatever the drill is going to be uh, for the group, right? Uh, so that the group is still functioning, and still trying to grow on what the group level is, but then the player can also get what they need from it to understand better what they're deficient at and hopefully improve. Right. Got it. Um, so we've had these kind of blocks um, for each sort of event that we've gone to. Um, and we started out like I, I call kind of each tournament is like building a house, right? We're trying to put the foundation down. And then, you know, when you put that cornerstone up, um, just kind of evolved around, you know, where the spots on the field that you you have to be or you want to be. And then if you can't get there, how do you keep them from being there? Right. So once you have that cornerstone set, then it's about being able to piece the other parts together. Uh, Like, for example, from a communication perspective, I, um, I'm not a big, like we have a a ton of codes uh, and I don't, I, I don't like it but that's the guys like it. And so uh, I want them to do it if that's what they're comfortable with. To me, just give, getting the information out is, is really, really important, right? Uh, I've seen it over and over and over again. Players get kind of bogged down in, a, in trying to figure out a code uh, versus, or like some weird name for a bunker instead of just saying like, hey, back right. <laughs> you know, he's in the back right. He's in the back left. He's in my mirror, right? Like those things, if you just, spit the information out, people pick up on it really quickly. One of our uh, biggest deficiencies um, from a communication perspective was getting the players to understand that it's not just about where are they, but it's about where are they, which way is their gun facing, and are they shooting at you, right? And then who needs to know that information most? Say their name. Say what you need to tell them. Make sure they respond. If they don't nod their head, they don't say yes, they don't say something, do it again. Say their name. Say what you want them to know. Make sure they respond. Right? It's it's literally just a really easy conversational thing, right? Like you if you watch the divisional fields and then you go watch the pro field and listen to how they communicate with one another, it's completely different. If you go to especially the lower divisional fields, there's a lot of output, right? There's a lot of information going out. There's very little coming in. They're doing a lot more yelling than they are listening and asking questions. 
I think it's just as important um, when you're when you give a piece of information, ask a question, right? What are you doing? What are you shooting? Is he on you? Who is it? Is it, you know, uh, once you can start doing those kind of things, you, you begin to be able to piece the whole puzzle together and then determine what the equation is. And what I mean by the equation is, though there may be two bodies on one side, two bodies on another side, and one guy in the middle, rarely are all the guns two on two, right? You normally will have one side that is potentially overloaded with guns. So you'll have three or four guns one way and one gun one way, right? We want to be able to put that equation together uh, more quickly to be able to take advantage of the fact that one guy can step out, help one dude who's shooting at him, shooting at the guy in front of him, put that guy away. Now we get to flip the equation, right? We get to put our gun a different place that now he gets to add a gun back to the other side of the field. Make sense? Hmm. We're trying to figure out ways, um, not figure out ways, but we're trying to get to a point where they can put that together more quickly um, so that then response times are much faster um, to be able to take advantage. Now, the reality is once you get to, you know, high-level tournament paintball, they're, they're putting it together significantly quickly and they realize very quickly if their equation is fucked up, right? They know right away, like, uh, someone needs to switch a gun, right? Uh, and are usually disciplined enough where the, that just doesn't happen very often. Got it. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of free advice for anybody listening. Uh, I hope that, uh, you know, hope that anybody listening can start, uh, realizing that and start implementing uh, like that, that simple thing with communication just is such a huge thing in uh, competition where like that, that one little thing will take teams really far in their development and their improvement. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, now looking forward to this upcoming season, 2023 uh, FSU, they're the newest pro team in the NXL and in NXL Europe. So how are how are you going to be involved going forward? Are you going to? Uh, oh no! <laughs> like, like I know I'm, I'm coaching the U.S. team. Uh, don't know about the European team yet. Uh, Mark is still putting all those pieces together. You know, there's only three events in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the first one's not for a while, so we've got a little time before that happens. But um, I have no idea what my involvement's going to look like in Europe. Um, so the name in Europe. Uh, I'll let Mark share that. I don't want to share that yet. But um, so there'll be a different name. You can't play under the same name in Europe and America. You have to have two different names. So uh, there'll be one team that plays in America under one name and, um, you know, another uh, team in Europe that plays under a different name. But as far as my involvement uh, in the European team, I have no idea what that's going to be. Gotcha. Uh, so what are, what are the goals that you have for notorious now that they're in the pro division? I mean, I know you talk about all these stories where, Hey, expectations changed. So, uh, I mean, you've, you've got, you told them three years, you got them pro in two. So now, now what are your new expectations? And I'm not going to take credit for that. I mean, um, again, I, um, I'm humble enough to know that they did the work, Mm. right. Um, I did get to participate in it. I got to be a part of it. I got to help guide them. Uh, but the reality is those guys did the work. And again, by the time they got to me, you know, when I showed up at that Virginia thing, I realized pretty quick, like they're, they're good already. Um, and then, you know, the, 
there were only six guys at that first event and then to go to the next event and get you know alex and and some of the guys who weren't uh in virginia man it was it was cool like alex is he's good dude he's a good player um he's struggles with the cognitive stuff from time to time which is weird because he's a crazy smart guy um but sometimes i'll ask him questions like hey why'd you do that and he'll just kind of give me this like you know deer in a headlight blank stare thing and i'm like i want you to answer <laughs> like well, i know you know it was a mistake but i want you to answer so we can work on the brain like give me a response and um but i i don't i'm not going to take credit for the fact that they've gotten as good as they have um as quickly as they have because the reality is you know i can talk and talk and talk and talk but they gotta they gotta do the work and and they did so expectations um you know at this point they're they're simple we want to win a point and then we want to win a match uh, and then we want to make it to a sunday right um i you know, I think uh, we can be a pretty middle of the road pro team in in the first year. I hope. Um, you know, uh, the pro league is incredibly competitive. I mean, it is so good. Uh, it's probably better than it's been in in ten years. Uh, it's just incredibly competitive. Even the bottom teams, you know, have opportunities to to go play well. I mean, if you look at World Cup, I mean, DMG been a, a pretty low ranking team you know comes out and and plays really well at world cup nyx came out and played really well at world cup um and other teams that you didn't expect like infamous that didn't play well you know um so it's it, it's a it's such a weird league right like uh level up i think uh for a few tournaments you know they were so incredibly inconsistent throughout the year but they I mean, they sh- had moments of brilliance, you know, where you watch them play and you're like, holy shit, who is this? You know, they they look amazing. I think the Russians had a rough year. Um, I think you're going to see a, re- a bounce back from them. I think you'll finish the year probably in the top three or four again. Um, so, it, it, you know, the expectations for us is um, first and foremost, compete. I I want us to be able to compete. Uh, and I think that we can. I think we have the right group. We certainly have the right mentality and work ethic. Um, none of that shit matters if you don't go compete, right? I I can tell you, like, just from my personal experience, uh, back in September of 2020, I had the pleasure of playing an event in Houston under the name I-35 All-Stars. And uh, on that team, we had myself, a couple of my teammates that are now on the Texas Titans with me, but we also had Jared, we had Renee, yeah. uh, we had Paul, and um, I mean that that team as a we like all of those guys were playing D four at the end of twenty twenty, D four and yeah. D three, and crazy. it's it's insane yeah. to see like and obviously like we we knew like those guys are all really, really good paintball players. And we knew like even, even then, and even before then, long before then. Um, and, but just seeing like the amount of growth that they've had in these last two years, uh, is absolutely insane. And I know every single one of those guys have definitely been putting in the work and, and they all deserve, uh, what they have now, which is, you know, the, this new pro status here in the NXL. Renee, uh, 
that kid is special, man. He is going to be, <clears throat> if he can stick around long enough, he's going to be amazing. He's already, you know, really, really good. And Jared too, like I see a big upside in him and, um, I shit, I don't even know what to say about Paul. He just, like he wasn't at um one of the minors with us in California. And it just like when he wasn't there, it like it felt different. Does that make sense? Like he just uh I, what Paul brings not only on the field cuz he's an incredibly talented player, but like his just personality and kind of attitude off the field, like he's just so relaxed and when he's in the pit, same thing. Like he brings a calm with him and um yeah, all those guys that you just, those three guys you just mentioned are really, really good. I mean, Jared, uh, I really wanted to have Jared at the beginning of the year. Um, the very first practice we had at Outlaw, went over and asked him uh, because, you know, we visited with him at World Cup when he was playing with Diesel. And I went over and had a quick conversation with him, just trying to find out, feel him out a little bit and see what his plan was. And he told me that he would you know, wanted to play with SDK and then potentially try to get back on diesel. And uh, that was enough for me. Cause if you don't want to be with us, then if you don't want to be here long-term, then I don't really want you. That makes sense. Right. Like if, if this isn't where you want to be and you're looking to uh, make a leap into something else, then go make that leap. And, and I don't want to do it. I don't like, I don't, um, it's going to sound slightly egotistical, but I don't want to waste my time with that player. Like, I don't want to give them a piece of me to go take it somewhere else. No, oh, I, I mean, I totally get that mentality. Um, like ultimately you're trying to win and you need guys to, to really go all in and with the level of commitment and not just like kind of just, you know, testing the waters, uh, for lack Absolutely. of a better word. Yeah. Uh, but now, I mean, I think that now like where y'all are at with, with the players that you have and even the players that you were missing at World Cup, like y'all are in a really solid spot. And I think that uh, you're definitely going to do uh, Texas proud uh, in, at the first event next year and throughout the, throughout the season, not just here in the U.S., but also, you know, with the whatever uh, decision happens over in Europe. But uh, yeah. And tech, it's like such a weird thing too to have. I mean, there's there's three pro teams legitimately in Texas, right? From Texas, mm-hmm. and then you in title have Houston Heat, but they do play at X Factor, I think, before every event. Um, and then you have Infamous playing at Giant, right? So there, there's five professional teams playing pretty regularly in Texas. Like it's um, it's a it's a wild thing. You know what I mean? Like literally uh, I've been talking to some of the teams about setting up some off season stuff. Um, you, you don't have to go very far. You know, like shit, when I was growing up, like if you wanted to, like we flew to Oakland to play Bob Long, you know, we, we had to fly to Chicago and, and to play infamous. We had to fly all these places to go play teams uh, just because there wasn't a, like, especially with the sort of resurgence of Texas Storm, we went down and played X Factor some, but we like we had to go a long way to to play teams, and you just don't have to do that. Like being in in Texas right now is it's a it's a wild time, man. Like you you especially the divisional guys, like you have opportunities 
to go watch these teams practice and watch how they they do their tournament prep, um, which I think is huge, right? Like how you prepare for for an event and what are the the process that you go through, um, you know, beginning with breakouts and then um, adding a body and then adding a body and then adding a body. Uh, until you get into five on five and then breaking things back down to scenario situations where you're doing four on twos and three on fives and, um, and then doing time drills and, and then before you even set up your play development, right. And then you, you watch how teams sort of create play development. And, uh, like I have, uh, my practice sheets, uh, which I'm now using for tournaments too, but it's, I mean, it's literally an Excel spreadsheet that I have the map right in the mid sorry, I'm looking over here, but map right in the middle. And then on each side, um, I have the number of times we run the play, like what point it was, and then uh, whether we won it or lost it. And then I have a note section at the bottom. Um, and I'll also make hash marks of like, if a player died off the break and um, that way I can also I put stats together about how many times when we ran this play did this guy die off the break and is does that mean I need to maybe send another guy out wide to get him up or um, like how watching how a coach creates play development and then seeing how the players and break the field down after each point. Right. And then go back to the coach and give them that information. Shit's huge, man. And there's just not very many places where you can go um, and watch. Right. And now in Texas, you have five teams playing down there. It's ridiculous. Yeah, not just five teams. I mean, you've got Texas players playing for all different teams around the U.S. Like you have Sean Salcedo and um, you know Ben Challenger. Uh, they they went to Infamous. I think Salcedo is now on Revo, or he, I remember he he went to a new team. He's on Revo. Um, mm-hmm. And you've got guys like uh, Trent Nitta, originally from Texas, now yep. uh, playing with the Ironmen. Same thing with Zach Carter, who is playing with uh, Grit Semi Pro. Um, and then also like in not pro, but higher division, division two, the Casey, Missouri all-stars had, uh, Cal Leach who, yep. you know, another product of Texas. So lots of really good, uh, talent. And you really don't have to go very far to get some high level play. Well, and not to mention, you still have paintball fit, who is just mm-hmm. crazy good. Um, I mean, might as well be a pro team the way they as much paintball as they play and how they prepare for tournaments. And uh, I think they're incredibly well coached. I think Casey does a great job. Um, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a really, really good time to be paying paintball in Texas. It's sure. really good. You know, like there's a, the level of competition in Texas right now, in my opinion, is the best it's ever been. And even not too far away from here, like over in Louisiana, uh, one of the players, I think it's uh, Brown, who plays for the Hurricanes, ex-TOG guy. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, ex-TOG guy out of fit. So, you know, just goes to show we got something special going on. Uh, and yeah. also, I, I like the stuff you were talking about with uh, as far as the data collecting during practices i'd love to pick your brain about that more maybe not tonight i mean we've already gone two hours into this thing uh but i that kind of stuff like how uh coaches at the higher level are are collecting these data points and how they're implementing it into their game is something that i i would love to just hear the methods and then love to see more of at competitions 
I don't honestly know how other coaches do it. I've really been doing it um, pretty much the same way since I started doing this. I mean, the, the format of the pages have changed, but the reality is the data that I want to collect is the same. I mean, nothing from that perspective honestly has changed. Like, when I, we get done with a practice day, I go back and pull all the sheets out. I look at all the different plays that we run, uh, we ran, I see where we were successful, where we failed, and then uh, the changes I need to make, uh, potentially even to a play, maybe we lost the whole time, or we lost every time we, we ran it, but maybe it's because I didn't put a body in a certain place to pull a gun out to get a guy where he needed to go or whatever. But the the yeah, I love data, and the reason I really like data um, is because numbers don't lie and they don't feel right so when players make comments like well i think the i don't like that shit right like i want you to tell me i've done this this many times and i've died this many times or um this guy has gone here this many times and i've only shot him this many times or i have shot him this many times right like i want real information I don't like bullshit. I don't like, um, I don't like, I think, and I feel, I want to know data. Sure. Uh, yeah, I think, I think we were, uh, talking about that. Um, uh, I think it was your, your leadership post that you made on Facebook. I think I was sounding off yep. in the comments about that data part and how, uh, crucial that is to have. Yeah. Cause I may really like a player and think they're playing really well. Um, and then look at the data and the data says that's not true you know um i try to um try to look at, at the way i'm going to manage a game incredibly unemotionally i don't want to <clears throat> even if you um if you ever watch me coach especially in a big game um I don't show a lot of emotion. I mean, I, I kind of look at what they're doing. Um, I try to create scenarios for us that I think will put us in the best position. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, like in big games, I just don't, I don't really get real emotional. I just don't. Um, because I don't want that to be a reason I make a bad decision. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so I try to stay as calm as possible um, and just stay in the analytics, stay in the data points. Well, those are excellent tools to have. Uh, um, I mean, again, numbers don't lie, but they uh, you can definitely, like when you have it on paper in front of you like that, it's really easy to see, oh, this is like very clearly the solution that I need to go with. Rarely is it very clear, but <laughs> yeah. Usually it's, uh, it's at least staring at me somehow. Right. All right. So that, uh, kind of brings us toward the end of our show, uh, for anybody that's still with us in the chat. Um, uh, oh, this just, one wasn't short and sweet. Sorry guys. Yeah. Well, definitely sweet. Uh, not short though. <laughs> um, so anybody in the chat, if you got any questions you want to get in, now's your last chance. Um, but, uh, Ryan, so this is a question I ask everybody that comes on the show. Um, are there any, anybody in Texas, either players, teams, brands, tournament series, fields, like anybody at all that's involved in the Texas scene? It could be even like 
media members uh, that have caught your attention lately. So if there's anybody in Texas that uh, the rest of Texas doesn't know about, who do they need to know about? Yeah, I kind of already said him, but uh, Ian is definitely somebody people should watch. I mean, um, I think if he if he can find a place where he can he can be consistent, uh, he's going to be incredibly talented. I mean, he already is. He's just mm. going to get better and better. Um, brands, <clears throat> you know, I think again, what a lot of people are doing is really cool. I really like the shit that. Um, Michael Diaz has been doing with the label stuff. I think he's done a great job about creating a way for uh, teams, players, fields, whatever, uh, to create some branding uh, where it doesn't cost them a bunch of out-of-pocket cash and people can go right onto the website, uh, buy a T-shirt, and he just sends them the profit. It's pretty cool. Uh, so I think what he's doing is really neat. Uh, in fact, um, I'm rebranding my insurance agency right now and I'm going to have him make me a bunch of stuff for it. Um, obviously what Jell has done is really cool. I think what Nick Mays is doing is so cool. Um, you know, having kind of a trade my gun sort of feel to, to what he's doing is neat. Um, I love the fact that he rolled the dice on a brick and mortar and seems to be doing well. That's uh, fantastic. Um, Product? Do you say product? I don't yeah, think there's any even products, products that are really yeah. cool. Yeah. I don't think pro there's any products that are really cool, but um, I don't know. I'm also pretty lame. So. <laughs> uh, I know there's, uh, I can't remember the name of them, but uh, here, let me see if I have it on my spreadsheet here. But there is a, um, there's someone over in Houston that is, uh, they make a lot of like custom parts for mechanical guns. Smart. Um, and I gotta figure out who that is again. I want to give them a quick shout out. Um, see if I have them written down here. Uh, no, I don't think oh, I have. Hydra. Them. Oh, Hydra, Hydra, of course, did. yeah. Yeah, Hydra did. I mean, shit, I totally forgot about that. Like the pants and the those knee pads are awesome, right? Like what they're doing is so simple, stupid, and it's like, uh, really good stuff. They're, Doing a really good job. Absolutely. Yeah. Lots of good things happening. All right. Uh, so we got, uh, let's see, one or two questions here in the chat. Uh, so this is from uh, Batman Raven's username in the chat. I think this is one of the notorious players. Uh, I don't know if it's on the pro team or a divisional guy. Um, so, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, he might not be a notorious guy, but um, let's see. First question is, let's see, we've already covered your goals for 2023. Um, do you have any um, news to give as far as roster additions or moves going into next season? Nope. Not its time. All right. And then. Make, um, no, I mean, we're not, we're not making any. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, and then another question, how does the Austin paintball scene grow to be as big as San Antonio or DFW? Good question. Um, Keep in mind that population um, is a huge factor, right? So there's as many people in the DFW Metroplex as like in the entire state that I live in. I, I live in Oklahoma. So there's, you know, like 3.3 million people that live in that 90 mile radius of, of Dallas, Fort Worth. Um, Houston, only slightly smaller. I mean, it's massive, right? Um, 
you think about Austin, um, not near the population size of either one of those. Uh, I don't think you're going to see the scene uh, be nearly as large as either one of those, but I do think it can be as competitive. Um, I know from the times that I've been down to outlaw, um, I kind of watch teams practice and I'll say this in a kind way. <laughs> I think people, I think a lot of teams don't practice very intentionally. I think they go out and uh, run points and they'll run really haphazard type drills and, uh, and you, when you watch the players do the drills, they're running it like a drill, not like a like they would do it in a tournament, which to me makes no sense. Why would you run a drill if it's not the way you're going to play an event? Um, so I don't, I don't think you're going to see um, Austin ever be as large a scene as either one of those places uh, just because of sheer numbers. It's impossible. I shouldn't say it's impossible. It's improbable. Um, it can be just as as competitive. I think if the if the teams will <clears throat> um, hold themselves accountable to a higher standard, and also like it 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 depends on what expectations are too, right? Like one of the great things about paintball is there's a place for everybody. If you want to play 10 man and have fun, there's a place for that. If you want to play seven man mounds, there's a place for that. If you want to play three man and there's a place for that. If you want to play division three and you want to do that for 10 years, you can do that. Just don't <laughs> win any tournaments. <laughs> like you can, you can stick around in a division for a really long time. So um, I think it just depends on what that means from an expectation perspective. Like if, if the scene will never be as large, but it's, it could be just as competitive. It just takes accountability. Got it. Uh, there's definitely a lot that goes into a scene. Um, but I think, a lot of I think the, the, it definitely could be more competitive. Uh, and I think it will be, uh, especially now that um, like outlaw has a, a pro team to its name. So you're going to, that's naturally, I think going to bring, bring more attention, bring more players to the field. Uh, so we'll we'll see how uh, that growth happens over the next couple of months and years. Uh, yeah. So I think that uh, pretty much does it for all of our questions. Uh, so Ryan, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> only you yeah. know two hours and fifteen minutes or so. Uh, so thank you so much for your time. Uh, do you have any last shoutouts or things you'd like to say before we sign off? Yeah, I just want to, of course, thank Mark Franz and. Um, you know, all the things that he's done, uh, to, to make all this, uh, chaos occur. And, um, you know, the guys on notorious, they've, um, the effort and energy they put in, um, you know, winning a, a paintball tournament is incredibly difficult, mm. right? Um, a lot of things, especially at a high level, a lot of things, even at in the divisional levels now with so many teams, but a lot of things have to go your way, uh, to win an event. And uh, controlling the things that you can um, is, a, is a really big deal. And the guys uh, moving on through uh, the event at World Cup did a, did a fantastic job with that. And, um, you know, I kind of gave him a little speech before we went on uh, to play in the top four. I just told him, like, hey, this is what you have now in front of you is a gift. Right? It's really hard even to get where you've gotten this far, but every step that we have left it's a gift and don't squander it 
uh, and they didn't. And, um, and that, that takes a lot of grit and it takes a lot of um, keeping your shit together mentally and emotionally and not allowing the moment to, to get too big uh, for you to handle. And uh, so they did a great job with that. Um, and then also uh, Lux, you know, the guns were fantastic. GI, the paint was amazing. And then of course, you know, I cannot uh, not thank Outlaw, Outlaw Paintball for for doing all the things that they do for the guys. And, you know, they're, they're out there. Uh, there are some of our guys there probably every weekend. Um, I know that there have been over the last five weekends, and they're going to be there again this weekend. And um, so the, the folks at Outlaw have been fantastic. Tom and Deborah have, have really uh, made the guys feel welcome, and, and it's a wonderful home to have. And then also um, all of our sparring partners last year, uh, Diesel, Paintball Fit, uh, the Hurricanes, um, have all been incredibly gracious to us. And, um, you know, the folks at Paintball Fit too, the Lukows are just uh, wonderful people and uh, always also make us feel really at home. And um, and then also Drew at LAX, uh, same thing. I mean, every time we go out there, he feeds us. And it's always some, like last time, two times ago we were there, we had, do you know what a shotgun shell is? Uh, I've I've heard of it. I don't think I've ever had it though. Okay, so I'd never even heard of it. And since I had it there, I've seen it like five times now, maybe because it's on my radar, but it is literally like a like sausage shoved into a noodle, right? Like a big, thick noodle wrapped in bacon. And then you smoke it. Um, it's literally one of the best things I've ever eaten in my life. Um, but he he makes his food every time we go out there and uh just really treats us well and um and we love playing against those i i'm um in all my years of doing this i've never gone to practice a bro team that is um as meaningful as the time we've had with the hurricanes so really appreciate them not looking down on us as the semi-pro team coming to I'll play the big bad pro team and beat just beating the shit out of us uh, while cheating and being malicious and chaotic. They're, you know, you shoot when we practice with them, when we shoot somebody, they will literally stand in the spot and say, Hey, you shot me here. And it was through this gap. And um, I mean, it's just the information we share back and forth is uh, just really helps. So um, appreciate all of them. Awesome. Uh, appreciate all those shout outs. Uh, and that, that does it for our episode. So, uh, thank you again for your time and everybody listening. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, be sure well, thank to go, you, man. And I really appreciate what you're doing too. Shit like this is really important. So yeah. doing it. Appreciate it. Uh, I mean, I'm just here to try and give more people in Texas, uh, and even outside of Texas, uh, just the platform to kind of tell their story. Cause there's, there's a lot of really good stories in paintball and paintball is kind of like notoriously bad at, uh, getting, getting stories spread around. Like everyone kind of just lives in their own little caves and their own little tribes and doesn't go too, too much outside of it. So I'm hoping to get, get these stories spread around because there's a lot of really good deserving ones that need to be told. I agree. And I'm glad you're narrating. Nice job. Thank you. So everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, go follow uh, Ryan Gray. That's at Ryan Gray Coach on Instagram. Also go follow Austin Notorious. That's at Austin Notorious on Instagram. 
Uh, what other guests would y'all like to see on the show? Be sure to leave a comment down below while you're at it. Hit the subscribe button. The show goes live weekly here on twitch.tv slash in the pits paintball podcast. Recordings are posted to YouTube, Amazon, Apple podcasts, and Spotify the next day. I want to give out a quick shout out to my spark, uh, my sponsors and partners, which are FU athletics, uh, get that shot paintball Kumite and compete. Uh, so y'all, we will see you next week for episode 27, where we will have Ryan Hall of Los Angeles infamous. And also, uh, he's the owner and operator of arc anodizing. So y'all, we will see you then Ryan. Thank you so much. Yeah.